You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. Welcome back. Yes. Hi, Jackie Farmer. Hi, Welcome Louise Oliver. Back. Oh. How was your summer? It was good. Well, we didn't really mean to take a break as abruptly as we did, did we? We just ran out of the room, like left the party really early. <laughs> we had some issues. Essentially, just our paying jobs just been ripping the piss out of us. That's true. They do do that. They do do that. It's been a bit of a mad summer. Lots going on. I, for one, was grateful for the break because I feel back. And ready. Yeah, I missed it. It was nice to, I think it got to a few weeks ago, I was just like, oh, I really miss doing this. Because it's not like I haven't mm-hmm. seen you, but I haven't seen you as much. No, I know. We've been very busy people. Very big time. That's right. We are leaders in our field. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they don't know that. They don't know the specifics. The people out there. They can find our LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. My LinkedIn is very easy to find. It's very short. And you can Mine's find very it short. firsthand <laughs> how big a deal I am. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to be back. I feel like we're officially sort of calling this season two in our heads. And I'm wondering, do we feel it's going to be like, are we going for season two, like Breaking Bad or Veep, where it really comes into its own? Or do you think we're going to suffer from second difficult album syndrome? (laughs) I think we should be the, um, I think think the former. Yeah. The former (laughs) would be better. Let's aim for that. Once I warm back up into my podcasting voice. (coughs) 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 All right then, so uh, what are we talking about? Today, Louise Oliver, we're going to be talking about um, the classic spook fest japery that is Ghostbusters. Japery. I don't know. I don't know what I was going to say. I like that. That's good. It is. It's full of japes. Hijinks. Yep. Um, Misadventures. Shenanigans. (laughs) Yes, I'm very excited. And I think this is good because we're landing, I think by the time this gets released, we are landing right smack bang in spooky season. Mm-hmm. My favourite season mm-hmm. of all the seasons. It's great. I mean, I don't know about you, but there were points in the summer when it was just too dang hot. It was too dang hot. And we don't often suffer from that here in Scotland, but mm-hmm. it really did happen. I don't like being hot. I like to go abroad for my hot weather. Yeah, yeah. it's not fun to be working from home with a, a ridiculous pile of work, mm-hmm. feeling very stressed out with no air conditioning and sweating your balls off. You realise how many of your holiday clothes you would never wear here? Yeah, it's not been fun. And the summer just kind of disappeared. Like, yeah. I got a little bit of a holiday just towards the end there, but like it was like at the tail end and I just, and now, and now suddenly we're here, we're, we're in autumn, we're yes. careering through September at an alarming rate. <laughs> I saw somebody put up yesterday on Facebook that it was only, it was only 100 days till Christmas and by the time this drops it'll be far, far less than that. I know, it's quite scary. But it is a golden and evergreen time for podcast content because we can do all of our spooky movies, starting with Ghostbusters, and then that segues beautifully into Christmas movies. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yes. And our jobs will hopefully be ripping the piss a bit less so we can make things. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to spend time on Canva. Oh, yeah. I haven't looked at it for a while. I'm excited to see whether we've had four or five likes on our Twitter posts. Don't give away all of our industry secrets. (laughs) I'm sure everybody is convinced that we have one of like the top graphic designers in Scotland working on our campaigns. <laughs> Don't let them know that we do it on Canva. Um, so anyway. So anyway, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, where to start? Well, I would like to say at this juncture that there has been quite a significant role reversal. There has, and I'm not feeling good about it. I think you should honest. embrace it. I okay. think you should embrace being the rebel. 
the Bill Murray to my Dan Aykroyd. I'm just so disappointed in myself. So listeners, <laughs> things have switched a little. I, who never previously studied, studied my ass off for this one. And Jackie... I've just I haven't. She's been partying really hard. She's been missing class. I've been smoking with boys under the bleachers. Under the bleachers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I took the finals. I passed. I'm here. I've got my doctorate in Ghostbusters. Yeah. I've flunked through lack of attendance. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm quite enjoying it. I'm feeling quite smug. She's very smug. Very smug. Seer. So there is a point at which um, I think I reference the Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray um, dynamic as as us. There's a yeah. moment in the movie where it's clearly our previous dynamic, but it's switched a little bit. So now I'm Aykroyd and you're Murray. But you've, you've won a watch there, really, because who doesn't want to be Bill Murray? That's true. That is true. I do like Bill Murray. He reminds me a bit of my dad. Interesting. <laughs> well, we'll not crack open that. Pandora's I don't think we box. should. <laughs> I don't think we should. So let's, uh, let's, let's get going. Um, so... What's your take on this movie, generally? So, this isn't one of the movies that has made me, I don't think. I I like it. There are bits of it that I really like, but it's not one that I've watched over and over again, or even in the last recent times. Um, But I did watch it. I never studied. Except that's not true, because I always study, just not for this particular test. It's like I'm in a stress dream. (laughs) She's wearing clothes. She's not naked. I'm she's wearing not, clothes. She's not having a stress dream. My teeth are firmly in my face. <laughs> but I have turned up to a podcast for which I watched the film a good few weeks ago now and my notes are patchy and I feel bad and I feel like I've let you down but Louise has you covered so I'll make it up to her and you, dear listeners. She will. Oh, she absolutely will. She's going to show me up big time in future podcasts. I, I won't. Have absolutely I never no do. I couldn't possibly. <laughs> well, I like this movie quite a bit. Yes. I think everybody likes this movie. Nobody doesn't like it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it would be weird. Like if you were like, on, for talking sake, if you were on a first date and you were talking about movies and somebody volunteered the information that they hate Ghostbusters, I feel like that would be a red flag. Yeah. You know? Who yeah. hates Ghostbusters? You can't hate it. It's not got anything in it to hate yeah i feel it it came at a time which i don't think will ever repeat itself where these icons of snl were kind of just doing extended sketches it's the same as wayne's world it's sort of like it got made off the back of comedic popularity yeah and yes dan Aykroyd had a had a script that he'd been had been knocking around but you know it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if in a different version of its evolution that uh, Ghostbusters was a sketch on SNL and it just grew from there. Yeah. Because Dan Aykroyd had that that SNL CV of being that kind of conceptual guy who had these characters in these sketches. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, Blues Brothers is another good example. Like, yeah. a sketch that was just fleshed out into an entire movie, which is much beloved, but really quite ridiculous. Like, how would you pitch that now? Like, yeah. how would you pitch Ghostbusters now? And I know we have got Ghostbusters movies coming out and yes. have had a recent reboot, but, like, that's off the back of the popularity of its... And how, incarnation. and how much it's I suppose we're at that stage now where our generation, millennials, are grown ups, some of whom have a lot of financial and industry backing and can make things and they're making the things that they loved and that have shaped them. Mm-hmm. And so it's getting so that's why it's things like Ghostbusters and I don't know, Hocus Pocus sequels yes. and whatnot. Yeah, because I think as well the the upcoming Ghostbusters uh movie with um our favourite Baldwin, Paul Rudd. 
there's there's a big (laughs) I was was like there's a Baldwin in it I hope our regular listeners picked up on that and got that I feel like that is the the key marketing like the cornerstone of the marketing campaign for that is nostalgia yes like hugely it's market it's being marketed to our generation and people slightly older yeah to take their kids to if you you have them yes and and those kids will probably then be introduced to this franchise and fall in love with it the way we did when we were kids yeah because I saw this movie really young I can't remember exactly when I saw it but I remember I have a memory of watching it on VHS in the first house that I lived in the first family home that I had so very very young so yeah the nostalgia part is Mm -hmm. a big player for me and I had all the toys. Like, mm-hmm. uh, me and my little brother had, like, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Toys and stuff like that, but Ghostbusters played a big part. The merchandising for Ghostbusters. Oh, it was very <laughs> like, good. Like, unreal. And, yeah, the proton packs and all the rest of it. We had all and the, that gear. I remember having... I think my key Ghostbusters nostalgia is not related to the film or toys. It's... There was this... It was like a juice box they used to get that had yeah. Slimer. It was Slimer like... Slimer on it, yeah. Yeah, and I can't even remember what it was called. Oh, and I haven't even Googled it because I didn't fucking study. Uh, ecto something. I feel yeah, like I had ectoplasm. the word ecto in it. Yeah, for sure. Ecto um, juice, probably. Ecto bloody juice. That's Ghostbusters juice box. Oh, high uh, C. I was high C. Ecto cooler. Ecto cooler. So yes, high C. High nostalgia. High nostalgia. <laughs> high quality content. Yes, so I have a slight concern about the impact that this film made on me on in terms of like my ability to find things funny really no (laughs) no I think it's I just was re-watching it today and I was thinking I was thinking about how funny I think it is I think it's a very very funny movie Mm -hmm. and um I had this thought that made me think you sound like an old person you sound like you sound like you're like of your mum and dad's generation well back in my day things were funnier like mm-hmm. I had that kind of like, ugh, they don't make them like they used to kind of thought about the humour mm-hmm. um, and how everything, <laughs> I kind of sound like such <laughs> an old coot here, <laughs> but like I was thinking how everything is just a little bit too high octane, like as much as I'm in full support of the 2016 update or yeah. um, sequel, I guess, um, with uh, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, because I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I think I really, really enjoy that movie in isolation, but it like so much humor these days. I find it's just it's just like really it's just a bit too bells and whistlesy. Whereas mm-hmm. I find the subtlety of the humor in Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. it's just I just love it, and I just don't think we get that very much anymore. Yeah, with with films of this nature in particular, because and in so many other ways, it's completely outlandish. You don't get a lot of films, I think, where the actors in the film have been because tra- I saw a thing. Did you see the Josh Gad did the reunited apart? series on YouTube. No, I didn't. It's very good. It was I watched it today. Um I did do a little bit I did some cramming. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate it. I did some light cramming. And Josh Gad during lockdown did this thing where it was like a YouTube series where he got nostalgic films that everyone loves and got the cast to have a big Zoom call and chat about the film for half an hour. Yes, I'm aware of what you're talking about. Yeah. So he did one for Ghostbusters, and it's essentially, as as with a lot of the stuff, it's basically all core cast apart from Rick Moranis, who I have a slight obsession with. I just I, I no, that's fair. He's he's magnificent. He's yeah, he is. He's amazing. Yeah, he's amazing, and I miss him. And we all miss him. And I love him. I truly love him in the depths of my being. A, a really 
want nothing but the best for Rick Moranis in this life. So it was all of them. So it was, well, apart, and also the uh, late, great Harold Ramis as well was obviously not was there. Was Bill Murray there? Bill Murray was there. Dan Aykroyd was there. Uh, Ernie Hudson, Sir Gurney Weaver. Wow. Uh, Ivan Reitman, the director. His son, Justin Reitman, who's directing the new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Annie Potts, your fave. I am so thrilled she's in the the next one. Yeah, she's great. Do you know what she was doing during lockdown that I learned? What was she doing? She was making masks. Aww. She was sewing masks and selling them online to raise money for the needy, as she put it. I mean, that's perfect. Of course yeah, she was. Of course she was. Yeah. Annie Potts. I mean, maybe we could update the language a little bit. Maybe not needy, but you know what? I, I know, I, that's, like... what's like, that's why I felt the music qualifies. Like, that's her words. Uh, that's the Less fortunate. You know uh, what she really should do? If she's crafty, uh, she should design a line of Janine-inspired statement earrings. Mm. Or glasses. Or glasses. Eyewear is very in right now. Eyewear is in. Uh, her eyewear is fine in Ghostbusters, which is the movie we're talking about, so I yeah. won't delve too deeply into this. But <laughs> At some point we should actually talk about the movie. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about the movie. But Ghostbusters 2, Janine mm. has this unbelievable glow-up. I mean, yeah. she's fabulous in Ghostbusters 1. It's not, maybe glow up's the wrong word, but she has an update to her look mm-hmm. in Ghostbusters 2 that is is next level. I think, it, I think it had a profound effect on me. Bold colours, statement prints, big rings, lots of leopard print. Yes. I think it had this a is, very... Louise is now <laughs> describing her exact aesthetic. <laughs> I think, it, and I think Annie Potts, as Janine, was directly responsible for it. I really Ooh, do. There's anything wrong with that. And I... I was I was just tuned in to her earrings in this last watch that I did today. Like it to the point where I googled it to find out if anyone was making Janine inspired earrings. Anyone who's listening and if you're a fan of a statement earring, just rewatch it just to just to like tune into that cuz she changes them like in every scene she's in, she has a different statement earring and they are all sensational. In the first in the second one. In the first one. This one. Um, and then, and yeah, in the second one, her whole aesthetic just goes wild because she's got pixie cut. She's got kind of kind of severe pixie cut in the first one, and then she in the second one she has this outrageously amazing um, red, like fire engine red, straight bob mm-hmm. with like very clean cut straight bangs. I have a feeling now that I'm saying this out loud, I'd need to double check this. Uh, so anyone who's listening who knows this for sure can let me know. But I have a Something just chimed in my brain that Janine in the second one was maybe a bit inspired by the cartoon because I think the cartoon happened mm-hmm. and then there was a second movie and I think the Janine the character design for Janine in the cartoon might have influenced how they then styled Annie Potts in the second one. That's mm-hmm. there's something in my brain that's saying that I'll need to look it up to be absolutely certain. But I'm, what we should do is post some cartoon design images of Janine on the Instagram because it's she's amazing. She's amazing in every incarnation. Anyway, sorry. Let's get into this movie. Let's get into this This is what we do. This is this what we is do. What we do. Welcome back. Apparently we have We have changed. no structure. No structure whatsoever. Okay, so one of my early notes, mm-hmm. and I think you might have some feelings on this, and we have a jingle for this, is that everybody's favourite in this movie is Venkman. Because yes. Bill Murray. And... Mm-hmm. Venkman is Bill Murray, Bill Murray is Venkman. They're, they're like, and this is true of any of his roles, there's just this quintessential Bill Murray-ness that yeah. he brings to the screen and that's what makes him appealing. But Venkman is kind of the worst. He is kind of the worst, yeah. And I think he might be the problematic fave of this episode. I think he is.
interesting. So, like, well, no, so we said there's nothing to hate about this film. I think it would be reasonable if people hate this. Yeah. Okay. Just to be just to be clear, the first scene is obviously the. We're not meaning scene. to be sleaze apologists. No, we're not meaning to be sleaze apologists at all. Uh, but yeah. I do have some thoughts on this. So the first scene is we go into the library, made more iconic by the fact that they filmed it with scaffolding on it, which is very interesting, and that's become a thing in terms of the, the movie's imagery. We go into the library where they use those fantastic practical effects, mm-hmm. um, which upset you. I did. Because it was a bit messy. Because they come out of the drawers. Yeah. The index cards just start flying out of the drawers. And it's not like it's just you're going to have to pick them up. But you're going to have to pick them up and re-alphabetize them. Mm-hmm. And they're just... You don't even know how many fit in each drawer. Yeah. You start and it's just... Yeah, it's, I, I have to I say... I think about it a lot. I'm a bit mad at you. Because for all this, all these years, I've just really enjoyed that as a practical effect. And then I saw your note and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about that poor librarian who had that horrible traumatic experience, and then she's probably the one... She's probably the one. ...that's going to have to go pick them all up. You know that she is. And I just... Because I bet she's undervalued in her job, just like... Absolutely. ...other people we know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. thank you for that. I'm um, sorry. In fairness, probably they were blank, and it was just... It would have been uh, an intern on set who would have picked them up and put them in, in any old order. Cause well, they were yes, but in the library, in the in world, the library, of, the, in the world, in the world of, yes. of the movie, they wouldn't have been blank. Mm-hmm. And that was the bit I couldn't shake. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I don't like it. But the practical effects It are takes amazing. me out of the supernatural element of the film. It's just like, well, what, a, what a mess. That's true. It is, a, it is an unholy mess. <laughs> so, yes, that is our opening scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the best title sequence ever. Mm-hmm. With the best uh, theme music ever. Mm-hmm. And the first Ghostbuster we are introduced to is Venkman in this mm-hmm. terrible, terrible it's scene. Not as, it's not the best moment. It's, I remember thinking this scene was really funny, but on reflection I am just like... Oh, quick trivia note. The, the door, that we, we get the shot of the door and it's got the four, the three Ghostbusters who, or who will come to be the Ghostbusters. So it's mm-hmm. Spengler, um, Ray Stance and Peter Venkman. Mm-hmm. And their names are on the door, but then... Somebody has spray painted uh, Venkman Rotten Hell or Venkman Go to Hell mm-hmm. on the door, which I think is interesting. And maybe it's something to, I don't know. Maybe this is something to talk about later. But Venkman doesn't behave well. No. He, he is not a particularly nice person. And he does things that are really problematic and bad. And he should be fired. He doesn't. He shouldn't be fired because ghosts don't exist. Although maybe he should. But all well, if they, except that they do in this world. Although I think Dan Dan Aykroyd's character is really the leader on the whole yeah. supernatural thing. So it's it's not. But I mean, he should lose his job for his the, his his terrible nature. Yeah, he's an unprofessional manner. He's abusing his power in an academic context yeah. to meet young students, yes. young impressionable female students. So maybe it's somewhat redeeming of the film, if not the character that the film recognises that he's not ideal. Was that your phone? Oh, was my Louise? phone. I'm so sorry. You were making such a wonderful point. Oh it's on silent now. sabotaging me. Well, interestingly enough, trivia-wise, that was originally a lot worse. It was meant to say Venkman sucks cock in hell or something like that, which was a reference to, a reference to The Exorcist. Exorcist yeah. But they took it out for obvious reasons. But your point still stands, except originally it was a lot worse. Okay. <laughs> My note on the subject was very much like in anyone else's hands, mm-hmm. literally anyone else other than Bill Murray, mm-hmm. this would feel way more predatory and way more awful than it actually does. But because he is, he's just, 
it, it almost feels like it feels almost meta in the sense that he's in on the joke he knows it's a joke like he's not I suppose it yeah it comes down to like are we being told that the way he's behaving is cool and I maybe and maybe we aren't and I find it quite hard to be objective about it it, it comes back to the casting like mm-hmm. Bill Murray is not taking this seriously Bill Murray is looking for the laugh at every available mm-hmm. opportunity up to and including weird sleazy gender dynamics it's not like we're supposed to we're not on his side i don't think we're supposed to be yeah, on his side i don't think we're supposed to be on Bankman's side i think that's it and i think it's not like i'm trying to think of something to compare it to that you don't think that way about it's almost impossible i think to... again without just giving him a pass because it's bill murray as well because you don't want to do that in but case... i think that's it i think that's why i think i think you're struggling to but find why a is it that though because it's bill murray but why <laughs> <laughs> because and then but then I was thinking about it and I was like and again I'm not giving out lots of cookies for this but like he hasn't been like me too or anything no I think he's a very um like he's apparently very hard to get hold of like he doesn't have a I think he's got a landline that if you want him for a movie you can leave him a message on his answering machine and maybe he'll get it and maybe mm-hmm. he won't like I think he doesn't might... need anyone at this point does he no but even back then like they just like I think they said in the movies that made us episode about this that and I think this was quite famous before that if that bit of television was made that they just weren't sure if Bill was in or not um, and then mm. he just turned up to work on the day on the first day of shooting and apparently that is very common with mm-hmm. him apparently that happens all the time which in turn I find quite annoying actually I find I find that way of working or that it's, it, it speaks to a level of arrogance that I think would I would find mm. quite irritating and privilege yeah if I was a yeah. writer producer director on a project that had him involved in it. The person like, no, I really... who wanted the part. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really need you to answer your phone, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but at the same time, now I'm now I'm questioning myself because I I think he is a singular talent, but I also am of the belief of the belief that singular talent shouldn't give you a pass to behave in any way mm-hmm. like an arsehole. Mm-hmm. I think with Bill Murray, it's subtle enough, and he doesn't have enough black marks on his record. As far as we're aware, I know he didn't get on with Lucy Liu on Charlie's Angels. Yeah. And um, I think that's the only high profile one I can And that think did of, sound quite horrible. It didn't sound great. It didn't sound great. Um, but to come back to Ghostbusters, I just sort of feel like the, it's in the playing of it. It just feels so low key and, and not serious. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that this behaviour in any capacity should get a pass, but it just doesn't feel like it's being played for anything other than, like, look at this idiot. I don't know. I'm also very aware of being like, it was just the time. But also, I think if if you were to make that film now, you could make, you could have a similar effect on it. You could make a character that we would feel similarly about, but mm. you probably wouldn't do it that way. Yeah. Because we know more about those dynamics, those kind of professor student dynamics now. Yeah. And take that a lot more seriously in a way that probably wasn't really in the minds of the people who wrote and performed the scene. Yeah. And I think his character is sort of meant to be this kind of... Like, my shit synopsis for this movie is something like a con artist and his four geeky friends come up with a business model 
Yeah, mm-hmm. con artist and his nerdy friends discover that the supernatural makes for a lucrative business model. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my shit synopsis for the movie. And I think he's he is a bit of a con artist and he is a bit of a sleazeball and it's also rooted in the character, but he keeps getting knocked down. Mm-hmm. And, like, Dana points it out later on, you're like a game show host. Yeah. What becomes confusing is then that we're at one point... At what point does she decide he's worth going well, on a date with? Well, that's the thing, because there's, like... the, there's the montage, isn't there? This is getting us completely out of sequence, but, like, there's the montage of when the Ghostbusters become the Ghostbusters. And, yeah, so she's approached them. They've had their... They've got their wee advert on the telly. And so yeah. she turns up, because she's got monsters in her fridge. And Venkman comes over... Because he fancies her. Well, he pops up like a jack-in-the-box yeah. and then leaps over the little like, yeah. desk door yeah. thing. So basically, what interrupts that scene and that sleaziness, because that, yeah. that scene is... That scene, I mean, I still maybe it's also that we it. don't. Maybe it's also that they don't let us see it go too far. Yeah, it, he's not yeah. successfully re-interrupts. Yeah, he is, yeah. He, we do not see him at any point successfully mm-hmm. ruin a young woman's life. No. Again, low bar. Low bar. And there's that, like, and there's a really gross comment when Ray interrupts and he's like, I'm kind of in the middle of something here, Ray. Yeah. And he hits him over the head and he's like, Could you come back in an hour? And then looks at her and there's an hour and a half. And it's, it's like, it's gross. It's it gross, is gross. He then, is gross, but he's also, I guess, supposed to be gross. He's supposed to be gross. Yeah. And Dan Aykroyd looks at him in a way that says, You're gross. And it is very self aware. Mm-hmm. Again, I am not in any way saying that my the early age at which I saw this and much like many people my age worship Bill Murray so like I am not um willing to ignore the impact that that might make on, on my opinion about this like maybe mm-hmm. I am just giving him too much of a pass but at the same time I do think it's rooted it's rooted in the character to be a bit he's a sleazeball he's a con yeah. artist and a sleazeball and that is in the character and it's fine to have a character that's a sleazeball. Yeah. Yeah, it's not being sold as a trait of his that we should be admiring of. No. And that is in the way that Bill Murray is, is in the way that men and women in the film react to him. Yes, including his best friends. Yeah. Egon and Ray. Mm-hmm. Egon and Ray are very serious. He's mean to Egon as well, by the way. <laughs> he is quite mean. We'll get there. So Ray interrupts this uh, interaction and it is still funny. I'm sorry, it is still a funny scene. Like when he shocks the guy and the gum flies out of his mouth, I laugh every time. It is a funny scene. (laughs) Yeah, so we get to um, Ray has been um, alerted to what's taking place at the library. He's very, very excited. Mm. Um, And so they go to the library. And it's the first time that um, Venkman's mean to Egon because he does that thing with the table. Egon's like under the table with his little stethoscope listening to it and he comes up to it and he drops a book on the table. And I can't ever get past how sore that must have been. Must have been really sore. There is a very quiet sexiness to Egon. There is a quiet sexiness to him, isn't there? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I think the more mature, reflective and therapy women that I have become can see that because, you know, 19, 20-year-old me would have fancied Venkman because, oh, funny guy. Yeah, a funny person who doesn't have my best interests at heart. Yeah. <laughs> Swoon. <laughs> exactly. Whereas Annie Potts, Janine got it right from, uh, like, she knew right away who the catch was. She yeah. was straight in. She was like... Yeah. You got any interests? Yeah, she was straight in with her Tinder bio. She was yeah. like... I also play racquetball. Uh, yeah, she got it. She got it right away. Um, so we approve of that. 
so this is all great. We see them together. It's, they're not the Ghostbusters yet, but we see the framework of what the Ghostbusters will be. Mm-hmm. The dynamic, the three of them, Egon with his little gadgets. His PKE, PKE meter, which pops up as a prop in other things. Does it? It does, yeah. It was a recycled prop. It pops up in Suburban Commando, which is a movie starring Hulk Hogan. And uh, it also appears in They Live with Kurt Russell. There you go. <laughs> the more you know. It's not a Jackie's fact, but it's a lose clue. Lose. I, I don't know. I think maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. It does. Um, it's good. <laughs> We're all talking about lose clues. We're all talking about lose clues. Composition happening in the moment. No, it's actually it's a bold steal from Blues Clues. Oh, from Blues Clues. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, we can't do that. No, we can't. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Oh, Steve was back. <laughs> no, know. don't do that. We can't. Don't fall down this rabbit hole. I think one of the funniest lines in the movie is no human being would stack books like this. I think that's really funny. I'm sorry. And this is what I mean, when the point I was ham-fistedly making earlier is that like it's that subtlety. And that's what makes Bill Murray, I think, such a great comic actor is delivery yeah. of lines like that. And in the knowledge that that was probably improvised as well. Well, in that... Um... Not to steal all of my facts from Josh Gad, but that's mostly what I have. Is they said Dan Aykroyd? They were asking Dan Aykroyd about writing. Why can't I say Dan Aykroyd tonight? <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Daniel Aykroyd <laughs> said that um, they were asking him about the script writing, and he said that actually eighty about eighty percent was. I don't know. I don't know if that was hyperbole, but he said a lot. There was a huge amount of improvisation. He said something you don't have. Bill Murray on your set and not just let him do his thing which is both wonderful and irritating at the I same know. time <laughs> and it's just like it's because he was Bill Murray and I don't know if it's just because we have more famous people than we used to and people are more worried about margins maybe I don't know maybe but also like some people are just very very good at that and that's why yeah. you get them in to do that yeah. like not it's a, it some is a particular skill and that ability to do each scene and go, okay, I'm going to do it like this and I'm now I'm going to say something else and have everybody around you, including the writer, not know what you're going to say and have a take. Not you're, People are not doing a take again because they need to. They're doing it again because they want to hear what you're going to say. Yeah. That doesn't just come around on, too often. Just on the off chance yeah. that you just say something that was even funnier. Yeah, somebody yeah. with that ability doesn't come around too often and I and I this is why I think I'm slightly more willing to give him a pass because the the results are there. Like it's mm-hmm. like some of the funniest lines in the movie are things that he did or said. It's yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> I still think we should reach a place in in our not just this industry but in our world where we can have both, where we can say, yeah, you're really good at that, but also don't be a dick. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think it's and he I, I know and Bill Murray's fine. Yeah, full disclosure, we're not saying Bill Murray's a dick. No, we like him. We love him. I love him. Some of us have even compared him to our father. There you go. So we love him here. We're big Bill Murray fans yeah. in this house, um, in this podcasting house. But it is worth stating in this new world order that we want to create that's based on compassion and decency that actually picking up your phone and... Well, you know, it's you know, like, like nobody is above accountability. Yes. And, and any we should all be striving for self-improvement. 
at Correct. all times. Including you, Mr. Murray. Including you, Mr. If Murray. You're listening. But we, we do love you, but also, you know, we hope that you haven't stopped trying. And we hope that you will um, accept our invitation to come and talk to us about anything you want. Anything you want. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, I should point out that. Um, my second favourite funny line in this scene is actually a Dan Aykroyd line. I don't know if... Maybe he wrote it, I don't know, but he says, listen, do you smell something? Yeah, that's good. Cracks me up every so time. That's in the library, isn't it? That's in the library, yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're walking through the library and the books are stacked weird and there's gunge all over the index cards and the bookcase falls over and then they meet the ghost. She's just hanging out, browsing for a Jackie Collins or maybe a... A Danielle Steele. Yeah. She's looking for something to read mm-hmm. and uh, they don't know what to do. They were not prepared. No, they were not. <laughs> Much like you for this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's just going to milk this. Look, give me my moment in the sun. I have never been the study bug. Never. You should see how she looks right now. I'm, She's I'm actually so like uh, adjusting She's, my glasses. She, she is. She's looking off into the distance mm-hmm. I'm with gonna, how much she's inspiring herself I'm right now. I'm just going to take them off and give them a wee clean in a Rupert Giles kind she's of... She's actually doing this. Exasperated manner. <sighs> We're doomed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving this new role. <laughs> I mean, that's she's just discovered that studying's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you make an effort, you can lord it over people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the studying itself, it's the feeling like you're better than everyone. Yeah, it's 100% that. Like, it's all worth it in the end. There she knows. <laughs> you have to study harder. You've unleashed a monster. Oh, no. <laughs> the dynamic is ruined. This is the first and last episode of season two. This is it. This is our big rift. <laughs> this is the rift. Um, yeah, so they um, have a little conflab about how to... Conflab. En- a little conflab about how to engage this ghost. It's not even a word. Listen, I'm the one who studied. I can make up words if I want. Um, so It's confab. Is it conflab? <laughs> Listen, I'm the academic here. And All right, I if, it's con- it's you, if, it's con- if you say it's conflab, it's conflab. I prefer conflab. So this ghost is just minding her own business, actually. Yeah, she's not doing. She's not doing, she's not doing anything. anything. She's browsing. Yeah, she's literally browsing. And these men just shout, "Get her!" and run at her. Which, <laughs> Which has never. No woman likes worked. that. No, like <laughs> her reaction is completely justified. It's very reasonable. Completely reasonable. <laughs> I don't know about you, but anytime three men have yelled, "Get her!" and then ran at me. Thankfully, that has never happened. But she turns into like a mad, like a monster, monster like her like mouth her gets mouth real gets, wide yeah, and stuff. She, yeah, if she, I had the ability to do that, should it happen, mm-hmm. I would absolutely. I would probably just freeze in the spot and die, <laughs> which is completely fair. Because <laughs> I think in any other context outside of Ghostbusters, three men running at someone shouting "Get her" is normally accompanied by a van and a and a hood. Yes. <laughs> Like I like to think getaway. I would either run or fight, but there's a good chance I would not be useful. Um, so, well, well, good on you, go see lady. lady. <laughs> she had the right approach. Yeah. She went straight in for the attack. They shit themselves like little piss babies and run out of the library. Yeah. To so like um, a boogie woogie. A boogie woogie song, yeah. which is called Cleaning Up the Town, and it's by a band called The Bus Boys, who are a bit like a rock and roll boogie woogie version of Boys to Men. Really? Mm-hmm. And uh, they are all very handsome. And they're still going today. Are they? They are, yeah. Very interesting. I think if you're in the LA area, generally, the area of Los Angeles, you could probably catch them at a gig at some point. 
Because I know they are still operational in that general vicinity. (laughs) (laughs) I think immediately after this is the whole, like, formation of the Ghostbusters. The origin story of the Ghostbusters. Because they get... They're very excited. They think they've seen a real ghost. Good stuff. They Mm -hmm. go back to the university to regroup. And they're getting booted out. Yeah. By the dean of the university. Mm -hmm. By an actor who is just... I apologise to this actor because I never... I didn't study hard enough or was motivated in my study to find out this actor's name. <laughs> but he's doing a great job. He's chewing up the scenery and I'm, I'm proud of him. Oh yeah, it's kind of like, he's quite a little guy, isn't he's he? He's quite a little guy and he's mm-hmm. he's doing the most. And he's really he's really cheesing that he can get rid of them. Oh, he's really he pleased them. about it. He hates them. Yeah. He particularly hates Venkman, which again might support our theory that it's, Venkman is... It's, so, it's a self-aware and how problematic Venkman is. Yeah. And they get kicked out Rather unceremoniously. Uh Uh-huh. And then there's this great scene between Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd where they're basically discussing what they do next. And it's... My note uh, is that this scene is basically the uh, equivalent of us setting up the podcast. (laughs) Bill Murray is me talking you, Dan Aykroyd, into it uh, over a bottle of whiskey. (laughs) Do you want to expand on this? Because I feel like this is part of our origin story. I think I just drunkenly said to you in the midst of lockdown mm. do you want to do a podcast it'll be a great idea yeah yeah actually it wasn't it. really that it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't really it wasn't I didn't take a lot of I didn't take a lot of persuading actually no I think I think there was booze involved oh definitely booze involved and I think I talked you into it in a very Venkman kind of way in that I sort of implied that uh, I would do all the work and then you did most of the work for the first use <laughs> that's not true <laughs> I mean it's a little true I mean, probably Chris I feel did bad most about of the work. It. Yeah, Chris, Chris, <laughs> or Egon. Oh, Chris, or Egon and Annie Potts. <laughs> Annie Potts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and our Ernie Hudson, actually, yeah, in many ways as well. The, graft, the the grafter of the, the grafter. <laughs> Thank you. You are appreciated. We, we really value you. Yeah. So yes, they have their let's set up a podcast conversation. Mm-hmm. And then we pretty sure the scene afterwards because they have this exchange where. Dan Aykroyd is like, where are we going to get the money? And Venkman's like, I don't know. And then the scene straight after that is, I presume Venkman has talked Ray into. This is the thing. As much as, as much as like being the general dynamic of us of me being like, oh, well, he's nervous. Like, I don't really think I'd ever. I don't think I've ever been quite so condescending. But <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I would never triple mortgage a house. No, and I would never try and convince you to do that. <laughs> No, I mean I'm a I have an accountancy qualification. Exactly, and also like this, there's the triple mortgaging element of this. Yeah. So the accountancy bone is triggered, but also like I think I think um, Ray mentioned something about it was like a family home, and it was like yeah. his mother left at this home, and like yeah. <laughs> Venkman has somehow convinced him to sell it. Yeah. On this, and then <laughs> and it's like Egon that comes out with the figures of like basically this is the actual cost of it. Yeah, like um, so it's like ninety five thousand dollars or something like that in interest. Yeah. So I wouldn't do that. No. But um, and I wouldn't do that fine. to you. No, you wouldn't. So. That is where... We're better than both of them. We're better than both of them, yes. I would never do that to you. But this uh, remortgaging... This remortgaging buys them a firehouse. It buys them a really run-down shithole of a firehouse. It's a shithole. <laughs> it should be condemned it by all accounts. Be, it should be condemned. Uh, yeah, Egon is right. Ray is being adorable. He's being really he cute. He is adorable. 
Um, but for some reason, despite the fact that it's raised money, Venkman is being left with the deciding vote about whether or not they take this firehouse, which seems like a very bad decision <laughs> in leadership. Yeah, but... Makes her funnier. It makes for a funnier reaction. Oh, they're just... They are cute, though, and I don't know why... I, I don't know what my point is. <laughs> You just, I don't know if this will make it into the podcast, but uh, Jackie is struggling with what notes she has made right now. So She's got notes. a look on her face that says, "I don't know when I wrote this or why." <laughs> I've got eight, I've got I've got nothing between the mortgage stuff and then Rick Moranis and heart emojis. So okay, great. Well, I think that's a gap. Let's speed through. No, well, we can talk about your stuff, but yeah, I have no, I have no further, I have no further notes on your notes, really. I mean, all I have to say on this subject is that um, the architecture of New York is used very well in this movie mm. and things like the firehouse which is an existing building yeah. that you can go visit I think there's probably a Ghostbusters bus tour mm. and the firehouse is there it's all very like it's all very rooted in New York and I think Ivan Reitman says that in his um, when he appears in the movie the, the movies that made us he talks about the joy of filming in New York mm. which you know I, I, in the 80s must have been quite an experience <laughs> Because New York in the eighties, from what I understand, was not great, right? A little bit of a little bit high, of a hellscape. High crime, I, high crime, lots of coke. Mm. The peak of Wall Street. Mm. Uh, Times Square was basically the seventh level of hell. Really? Yeah. Apparently, it was just like all strip clubs and um, sex shows and hookers and awfulness. Oh no! T- yeah, like Times Square and, and sort of Manhattan now is like Disneyland compared to what. It was in the 80s. But there's still something that feels very uniquely New York about... There you go. That's a, that's a warm-up. Uniquely New York. <laughs> yeah. Uniquely New York. <laughs> that's captured in this movie, that the architecture of it and the way it looks, it just feels feels very New York. Mm. Like, it's hard to separate New York from Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters from New York. Mm. Basically what I'm getting It's like at. it's a character in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a wanker. Um, (laughs) and that brings us to the next note that I have which is again it's another bit about the architecture because I think now we we meet Dana meet Dana yeah the absolutely breathtaking inspirational and wonderful Sigourney Weaver she's so good she's incredible Um, because her building's an actual building again in New York on like the upper west side somewhere overlooking the park Mm. um but they superimposed all that guff on the top with the gargoyles and mm-hmm. whatever the hell else is up there, like a satanic temple or something, I can't remember. And um, there's this really funny scene, I don't know if you've noticed it, but like they, when they cut to introducing you to Dana, um, they do this scene from the top of the building and the shot is looking down towards the street to show you the gargoyle because it's like, ooh, this mm-hmm. building is evil, here's a gargoyle. <laughs> and uh, But the gargoyle... <laughs> Is so badly superimposed into the movie that it's kind of see-through. So when the taxi comes along the street, you can actually just see it pass really? through the gargoyle. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's really... F- I, I didn't notice it. It was today I noticed that, actually. I was like, oh, okay. Oh. I mean, look. Fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> fine. They did well. So, um, yes, we meet Dana and meet her building. Dana. And we also meet Lewis. We do meet Lewis. So this is your time to shine. I just... He's just so good. Rick Moranis is Lewis. Lewis is Rick Moranis. And I love Rick Moranis. And I don't think anybody in the right mind doesn't. No. Again, I think it's the same thing that we said at the top of the podcast. If anybody said to you on a first date that they hated Rick Moranis, that would be... Well, that'd be more than a red flag. I think you just have to get up and leave. I think I would. I genuinely think I would. And if if I had any drink left, I'd throw it in their face. 
a fair and appropriate response, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, there's nothing to dislike. He nails this. And again, like I'm not bringing this up because I think that our podcast is the first to say it. This is common knowledge that I think it was John Candy that was originally meant to be in the role. Mm. And then he wasn't doing... He wanted to play it German and oh. have German shepherd dogs. And then I think it was something like they weren't really sure how that would work with like it could be a bit confusing because there's other dogs in the film that are yeah like s- spectral dogs or supernatural dogs or whatever, and then it didn't it basically it just didn't work out with John Candy for some reason. But then Rick Moranis was like, "Yes, yeah. I know exactly what to do with this." Yes, and then he plays a tax accountant, and then I was just thinking there it was like <laughs> if like maybe maybe if like Janine has like influenced you maybe <laughs> Lewis and his <laughs> fucking try hardness and absolute lack of luck in love like has, has influenced me but then of course Janine and Lewis end up together I was going to say what's happening too. right now are you coming on to me this is, this is, come on I could do worse ladies and gentlemen have done you could definitely do, could do worse. a whole ton oh worse oh my god couldn't do better, frankly. <laughs> That's right. I am coming on too. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. I'll yeah. stop now. <laughs> he, he nails this. And I, I think it's like, it's just pitched so perfectly. Because it's like, it's deeply annoying, but it's also harmless. Like, yeah. in the way that Venkman is problematic, the way that Rick Moranis plays Lewis Tully, he's clearly very into Dana. Uh-huh. But the way that he's approaching it, it's like he's so, it's 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 there's no planet in which this wouldn't be extremely irritating. Yeah. But he's ultimately harmless and quite sweet. And again, like you see in her face, like she knows that. Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing. Well, firstly, he comes out of his apartment and Oh my god, he fires himself out of his apartment. Sometimes <laughs> in his velour jumpsuit. <laughs> And starts talking to her about how he's sped up his aerobics video to make it more effective. So he's basically just invented hit. Yep, which again, this is another, yeah, yes, this is <laughs> another Jackie association with Lewis Tully. How, how much I am Lewis from Ghostbusters. And but also I'm delighted by it because he's my favourite character. Also, I think his fuller tracksuit is a real style choice. Like, that makes me like him even more and his personality is like, he's unapologetically himself. He is who he is. He loves being a tax accountant. He, he really loves does. it. He really does. He loves it. He's thrown a party and like, I don't care. Dana, Dana's made other plans and he's obviously heartbroken by that, but the party is busy. The party is busy. He's jumping. Um, so, I yes, we love Lewis. But I think it, yeah, I think it's the thing of like she says something about like how she can't go when we first yeah. meet Lewis. He mentions as it, Dana and, she, comes and he said, and she says she'll try and stop she'll by, try and stop by, because he's um, he mentions the workout, and then he mentions the TV, which is the first sort of seed of like something oh, her supernatural TV was happening on. in yeah. her apartment. So what did he, he does something weird though. <laughs> he says he he climbed out on the ledge to try yeah. and disconnect the cable oh, and then when that didn't work he just turned his TV up really loud so that he's so considerate <laughs> but weird and but people weird. don't like that people don't like weird women don't like weird Pe- women listen honestly men don't like it either I find it the hard way <laughs> weird is fine I think he just really likes her yeah. really and why wouldn't her. you and I really doesn't... fancy her yeah she's I mean woman. she's magnificent she's yeah. absolutely magnificent so I get it like I, I feel like Dana Barrett is the kind of woman that he just never encounters ever yeah. in his day to day life. And so she's him, nice. She's, she's never nice. gonna just like not talk to him. Yeah, she's sweet to him. Yeah. Like she's clearly exasperated 
which is again like Sigourney Weaver being amazing. She plays it as exasperated as she would yeah, be. Yeah, but, but she also has a backbone. She's actually a lot more patient with him than she is with Venkman. That's a really astute point because she sees through Venkman right away, mm-hmm. where she knows that Lewis is just—he's actually just incredibly earnest. Yeah, um, but she's not. You know, we see her shoot Venkman down. Mm-hmm. We don't see her do that with Lewis. We see her just being like. Okay. She does close the door on his face. She does. She has to draw fair. her boundaries. She has to draw her boundaries. Yeah, he and won't that's fine, stop but she's not unkind to him. talking. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and maybe this is also something that she senses because <laughs> that he's capable of dealing with that because it's not that he lacks confidence. When he hosts this party, he's just like... He's, I mean, I know he makes this comment about, like, this is why I invite clients instead of friends, and he's cruising around everyone, including the really tall, like, blonde bombshell of a woman yeah. who's just like, well, let, well let's just dance. Let's just I love dancing. when he just starts dancing with her, he just goes for it. Yeah. Oh, I love that bit. So he has, he has, a, I think. I think he has an element of game. Yeah. Which is not game, it's just, I think they're... He's just crushing so hard on Dana, he can't control yeah. himself. And I think... He's just being a big goof. He's a big goof. Yeah. Yeah, there's not, like, we're not... No, I'm not... I will not go down the road of Lewis being problematic. He's not. I, I don't think Rick Moranis would have taken the part if he was. No, I don't think there's anything problematic no, about Lewis. I, I think, think he's, he's just, just... He's a... He's a... He's, he's just, just annoying. A, he's a big geek. He's just annoying. He's annoying to geek. Dana, he's annoying. Because yeah. he's just... And, and coming out of his apartment every time she walks down the hallway yeah. is very... Like, I can see that being, like, yeah, that's deeply deeply annoying yeah but it's not problematic no i wouldn't say i mean no it's not it's not it's not harmful it's just very very irritating yeah um yeah so that is our take on lewis tully versus peter beckman and the kind of men that you should date (laughs) generally listeners women out there (laughs) so i had a quick note about dana's apartment Mm -hmm. because it's incredible it's a great part and I was wondering how much cellists in the 80s must have made. But it, and then I correct, course corrected myself because actually I think it's fairly obvious without being stated that she clearly plays in like the New York Philharmonic because we see her exit the Lincoln Center at some point and talking about her, her pal who she, or her colleague that she exit the Lincoln Center with is like she references him as being like one of the best musicians in the world. So she's obviously yeah. playing for the Philharmonic, which means that she's probably commanding around $200,000 a year. Yeah, so she's, so she's making bank. And also the, her colleague that she exits with, I'm predisposed to despise <laughs> because it's the same actor that plays Harlan in Thelma and Louise. I didn't clock that. It's the bloody rapist who gets his just oh, desserts my at the end of uh, well, Thelma's gun in Louise's hands in I that film. did not even notice that. I think that qualifies as a Jackie's fact. Learn something brilliant with Jackie's facts. Alright, well I have to at some point. Because <laughs> I don't have a lot here for you. I do have one a little bit later, which is which I'm excited about. I think it's a good one. But um, yeah, it's so it's Harlan from, if you've not seen Thelma and Louise. He plays a very bad man who meets a nasty end. And, uh, and so it, only it's one of the only examples I have in support of gun violence. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. The only one. It's the only one. I, I mean, thought. to be fair, I think the implication here, like, the only thing that we get from this guy that we're meant to dislike him is he's a 
contrast to Bill Murray and also that he has to use a Presuma Vicks nasal spray. We see him use a Vicks nasal spray at some point, which I resent as He's a thing. He's weak. Yeah, I resent that. <laughs> yeah. As someone who's suffered from sinus issues her entire life, I yeah. resent that as something that... We all live in Scotland. We all have yeah. sinus issues. That should not be a mark of someone that you should no. dislike. But he only has, like, he's in it for about 30 seconds, so... But he's kind yeah. of, yeah, he's sort of posited as, like, the the natural love interest of Dana. Yeah, he is, I guess, well, I guess he is. Like, he's just sort of there. Yeah. And, and, and he is literally just there so that Peter can react to him mm-hmm. as a potential competitor for Dana's attention. Yeah, and in true 80s movie and all movies, really, we don't know anything about Dana's backstory at this point. No. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't think we ever learn anything about her backstory. No, we don't. She's not a particularly well fleshed out character. No, um, I'm going to assume that she's for money. I just, I'm just going to throw that out there. I think generally in the '80s, if you played the cello, yeah, you probably were for money. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think she's probably from Connecticut. Yeah, um, or the Upper East Side, mm-hmm. Rhode Island, mm-hmm. something like that. From a set, you know, Gilmore Girls kind of vibe. She's yeah. She was from the 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 Redford Falls Barretts. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if the Redford Falls exists. Well, I, I liked it. It worked. <laughs> I was convinced. <laughs> yeah, because you know she's she's very um classy and yeah to be a professional cellist. Yeah. And live in the apartment she lives in. I just feel like yeah she probably comes from money. Yeah, she probably could afford to rent the apartment, but she probably has bought it. Yeah, I think so. With money that she already had. And it was probably just, that was just the deal. Like, yeah. once you graduate from whatever conservatory, she probably went to Juilliard. Yeah. That was it. Professional cellist almost right away, because her dad is on the board of the Philharmonic, perhaps. Yeah. And that flat was just purchased yeah. outright. Or or in the family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dana might be a bit of a wanker. No. No, she's fine. <laughs> she's fine. People can't help. People from money can be nice. It's they fine. can be nice. She's doing her best. She Maybe she's not. Best. Maybe she's not. We don't, she's not very we well fleshed know. out, actually. We don't know. She's one of the least well fleshed out of Sigourney Weaver's roles, actually. Yeah. We can just... only go by what we know of the culture in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it's unlikely that she doesn't come from money. It's unlikely. Very she's... unlikely. Do you know, this is a this is an aside. This is just a I don't have this. I don't have any. It's just because I don't have any facts about Ghostbusters right now. But did you know that Sigourney Weaver is one of very few actors to have been nominated in both the best and best supporting actor category in the same year? I did not know that she is. She was nominated in the same year for best actress for Gorillas in the Mist, and at the same ah. time, same year, she was uh, nominated for best supporting actress for Working Girl. I did not know that. That was another great Jackie's fact. She's very good. She's very good. She is very good. She's like, yeah, one of my absolute faves. So, going back to Dana and her fabulous apartment, mm-hmm. she has a bit of a terrible time in her fabulous apartment after she leaves Lewis, who locks himself out, by the way, which is worth noting because this happens again. Yeah. And again. It's this thing. And again. He should give Dana a set of keys. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I'm sure he's tried. I'm sure he has. Um, so she gets home with her, with her groceries mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, gets into her fabulous little kitchen with that lovely um, green tone. Mm-hmm. Very, that sort of eight, late, late 70s, 80s green 
colour scheme that was in a lot of kitchens and bathrooms mm-hmm. in that time period. And um, yeah, some bad shit starts to happen. The eggs start to pop out of their box and cook themselves on the counter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there's a dog in her fridge. Not good. <laughs> Big demon dog in her fridge. It's not what you want. It's not what you want. So she's understandably upset. So she goes in search <laughs> of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> And uh, at some point we meet Janine. Yeah. And uh, that is really important to me to mention because Janine is next You're... to Dana, the most important. Janine is part your spirit of this animal. Movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have like this movie didn't give the women in it enough time, but the women that they they did have were were true icons of the moment. Yeah, they nailed it. So with the women they cast. Yes, Annie Potts says Janine, a true cultural icon for all the she's gays and theys. Mm-hmm. There is no one better. It's all about Janine for me. The mm-hmm. sass, the commitment, the boundaries, the unflappable self-esteem. We love that. I love Janine. <laughs> my note says her unflappable sense of self-esteem has only been rivaled so far by R2-D2. True. Where is the lie? And I love the fact that she recites her Tinder bio. Just yeah. like, she just does it. Like, here's what I'm into. What are yeah. you into? I like to read and I like racquetball. Let's get down to business. There is a coordination of costume between Venkman and Dana in this scene. They're both wearing a sort of plaid, tartney. Purple moment. Purple moment, yeah. yeah. Don't know what that says, but it's it's not, not deliberate, in my opinion. And then what happens is that uh, Venkman's being thirsty mm-hmm. and fancies Dana right off the bat because why wouldn't you obviously mm-hmm. um, but he's not being subtle about it and uh, they all realise that they're completely out of their depth <laughs> they don't actually know what they're doing Yeah, <laughs> they have set up a business and they are now behaving like they never actually expected to get any customers yeah, don't actually know what ghosts do yeah they don't know <laughs> they don't know how to like begin this process if there's a form that Dana needs to fill out or if there's like I don't know, a triage situation that they mm. need to go through, like how serious was it? No, they don't they don't know. They they literally don't know. As far as we can tell, um Peter's swanning around, Ray is inside the car engine and I don't know what Egon was doing under Janine's desk. I think I think he was fixing her computer. Let's go with that. <laughs> I am sure there are things on the internet that would suggest otherwise. <laughs> I believe that's rule number thirty four. Rule number 34 is, like, if you can imagine it, there's porn of it on the internet. Right. So that probably falls under that category. Oh, there's definitely fan fiction about that as well. Oh, for sure. Probably written by you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's back. (laughs) She back. Uh, Not wrong. Um, So, yes, what happens next? So they go into the office ostensibly, uh, and Venkman is riffing he's he's basically like riffing the the situation mm. in terms of how they process like trying to convince dana they've done this before yeah um egon's eating cheez-its and ray's drinking a beer <laughs> it's professionalism we can all get behind yeah um although to be fair to egon and ray they they do have some literature they'd like to refer to or like mm-hmm. like go to research Mm-hmm. Tobin Spirit Guide and something else. And then Venkman uses this as an opportunity to go to Dana's apartment. Mm-hmm. She's very sceptical, motivated by the demon dog. 
uh, needs some answers, mm-hmm. and uh, she is she's got she's got Venkman's number right from the get go. Like from the minute she encounters him, she's like, no, I just you are you're too much. Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> like him. No, she doesn't, she she doesn't, doesn't like him. him. She's no. she finds him easily as irritating as she finds Lewis. Yeah, but she's making less accommodation for Venkman because Venkman's clearly a sleazeball and a con artist and he's not taking the hint from her either like she's being quite she's she's shutting him down from where to go mm-hmm. and he's just persisting he's behaving like he doesn't know what he's doing yeah he's just there to like pretend that he's a scientist and a ghostbuster because he mm-hmm. hasn't worked out what the latter is yet um the only thing that's worth mentioning i think for this scene is that uh he does that thing with the, the, with the piano with the piano yeah. which is like they hate this. They hate this, yeah. <laughs> Which has gone down in, in sort of film lore as the thing that, like, it's another Bill Murray thing. Like, nobody knew he was going to do that. And they mm-hmm. had to cut because the crew laughed out loud. And it was just like, because it is it's very, very funny. And if it wasn't in the script and you weren't, you didn't see it coming, that's, that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so many sins get covered by being funny. Tell you what. Anyway, the hotel thing, which is the... Uh, the catalyst for them becoming celebrities. Yeah. And they meet Slimer. Mm-hmm. Little rascal. Little, little rascal. <laughs> little rascallion. <laughs> Who is um, meant to be um, John Belushi. He's meant to be John Belushi. Yeah, so this is like, again, I'm not taking credit for this as a thing I'm contributing to the podcast as a fact because this was something that was in the movies that made us but was also like public knowledge for a really long time and Ghostbusters fan canon that... Um, originally, when Dan Aykroyd wrote the script, it was it was a, a another vehicle for him and and Belushi. Right. Okay. Um, and I think Eddie Murphy as well. Like it was like okay. it went through so many variations over the years. And I think originally they were time travelers or something. Anyway, but Belushi died like literally just as Aykroyd was on the last leg of the script in the last sort of development phase. Right. And. Um, Slimer was meant to be a nod to Belushi. Like apparently he was meant to look like. Belushi, but um, the guy who designed Slimer wasn't told until like like the day before his deadline to get Slimer ready. Right, and he was like, I, "You want him to look like Belushi? Like I can't, <laughs> can't oh, do that now." Mm. Um, <laughs> and then apparently, what he did was just like didn't do anything, but then told them that he did, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, yeah, I totally see it." And like that's not, it's not a thing. Um, but yeah, Slimer's meant to be because of his like, and I'm not sure how I feel about this, but like because he's this like gross, consuming, like, decadent, like, bacchanalian kind of ghost was just, like, consuming wine and drink, drinking and eating. Yeah. It was That was meant to be the nod to Belushi, which I thought was a bit... For someone who died from his success, basically, feels, yeah. a little, feels a little weird, but what it actually was, I think, was that it was meant to be a nod to his Animal House character. Right, okay. Um. But, yeah, anyway, Slimer is, is, is in some way meant to be the spirit of Belushi in Ghostbusters. Okay. Feels a bit weird. Yeah. But they all say it like Dan and, and Dan Aykroyd himself has referenced it, so it's like I I, I guess okay. <laughs> yeah, wh- whether we like it or not, that whether, is like, the, yeah. that is the the yeah. case. Okay. Um noted. And I think it's funny how uh, like actually Slimer made his way into Did you ever watch the Ghostbusters cartoon? I did, yeah. And Slimer's like he's like a main he's, character he's a key character yeah and he's yeah. kind of he's sort of like almost like a Pokemon he's like cute yeah he's almost yeah. like their mascot or something yeah 
Yeah. He's like, he's got, like, he's voiced. He can speak and he interacts with them. Oh, yeah, he's got that kind of, like, ridiculous voice. Yeah. That's, like, um, at the, right about the same time, there was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Krang. Like, the mm-hmm. little brain guy. They had quite similar voices. Yeah. As I remember. Um, so we get Slimer, <laughs> and Slimer has a really hard time. Slimer's just, like, I think he got an invite to this event at this hotel, and he's... Having us, you know, we've all eaten more than our fair share of canapes and drank more than our fair share of free wine yes, at a indeed. hotel event. I think that's what Slimer's doing, and you know, rude, rude of the Ghostbusters. Rude of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> He's just minding his business. He's just having a nice time. Yes. Anyway, so we learn you don't cross the streams and you don't look into the trap okay. when it opens, but you go and look to the trap. Did he? Yeah, he says that really specifically. <laughs> Ray says when the trap opens, don't look directly at it. It opens and it cuts to Egon. He goes, I looked at the trap, Ray. <laughs> it's very funny. Oh. So they came, they saw, they kicked its ass. Mm-hmm. There's a montage. And I love this montage because we just get to see Dana Barrett living her best life. There's yeah. lots of nice things in this. There's the nice cooking scene. She's drinking her wine. She's chopping her veggies. Listen to the radio. That is like, that's a real, that's a real nice post-work vibe. It's so nice. I do like <laughs> Very that. Very relatable. Yeah. She has a little knowing, like, eye roll laugh. Like, I know those guys. They're such, they're so funny. They didn't do anything about the dog in my fridge, but fine. I know, I know. <laughs> and then it just, and then it's, and then I think maybe we, is that when we get to the point where... Venkman shows up at her work and then she likes him now. I don't know what the link is. Maybe I'm blaming the movie for my real, like, senile brain, early senility. But, like, I'm fairly sure the link between this montage and them being really successful and him deciding to turn up at her work is fairly... Yeah, I feel like we've probably taken 45 minutes to cover a 10 minute period of the film. Yeah, so I, <laughs> something happens that he decides to go turn up at her work. She's had the thing in her fridge and he's been very like, okay, leave it with me. So we didn't really cover that. Like when he goes and opens her fridge, there's nothing in it. But junk food. But which junk food, which he like shames her about. Yeah, he like, does shame her about that. And like, yeah. just like, fuck you. And also, eat what you want, Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry to just bounce back to that scene as well, but like he has this line, which I remember thinking was really funny at the time when I was younger and stupider, more stupid. She says, that's the bedroom, but nothing ever happened in there. And he goes, what a crime. <laughs> it is funny. Yes. We laugh because it's funny. But it's really, what I notice now and what makes it better for me now is how Sigourney Weaver plays it. Because she hears that line. It's not It's not delivered, like, the way they structure it, which I am putting on Sigourney Weaver, is that in previous movies like this where a, a line that like that would have been thrown out, the woman is oblivious, she's not oblivious. She's yeah, like... Yeah, she's just... Really? Batting it. Really, did. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but for some reason, he's back outside her work and she's now kind of into it. Yeah. Which I don't love because it suggests that maybe she's like... Now they're kind of famous. I don't know what that suggests. I don't know what it suggests, but it's not consistent Ye- with Dana Barrett's character development as we've seen so far. No. And it, I mean, I know it needs. To, it just needs to get us to the next through the next bit. Of the it movie, just it's, like, well, it's, it's the setup, so he has a reason to come to her flat later. Yeah. Um. But Cause, yeah, because they're going on a date. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So that's that's why it's there. But yeah, there's not really any reason for it that is well explained. Like what? So she. Because we we like her, we don't want anything bad to happen to her. But it's like, does she just like him because he's famous now? I suppose that the the popularity of them and the emergence of all of the supernatural activity has lent them some credibility. Where maybe she's been like, okay, I thought maybe you were shysters, but actually, yeah, you are you are doing something. And 
Yeah, you've become a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, and they're clearly quite uh, irreverent and funny with it that she mm-hmm. enjoys. Yeah. Do you know what it all? Do you know what it needed? It just needed an extra scene. Yeah, that's all it needed. Where like maybe in the midst of this meteoric rise of the Ghostbusters to fame, that she checked in, like they had a meeting to check in with Dana because she was the first case. Yeah, and even it if it wasn't a... Venkman, even if it was like yeah. you go and just being like, right, we've been looking into this. And, yeah, yeah. But then, as far as we know, because then I think it's just what's weird about it is that it looks still at this point like hers is not really a thing. Yeah. Because there was no evidence of any paranormal activity in her flat when Venkman was there. Yeah. And he was only really there to fire into her. He wasn't there. Mm -hmm. He didn't gather any data or evidence. Yeah. Beyond scoping her out. Yeah. But then at the same time, I suppose maybe since then, she hasn't really seen anything. Yeah. Oh yeah. She seems very comfortable and safe in her flat. Yeah. She's like, Um, all right, that was, that was, that was weird. She's maybe of the opinion that it didn't happen. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. she was just real stressed. Yeah. I mean, she does bring yeah. it up when Venkman basically accosts her outside of her workplace. <laughs> um, she does say, have you got any update or any news on my case? Yeah. So she does bring it up. But yeah. I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's just a little bit of like, this movie isn't designed to be like, you know, wowing us with logic or... The movie is to get us to the... F- the fun bits, yeah, exactly. rather than it is to get us to like the logical bits or the romantic yeah. bits or the or the like great exposition bits. It's like it's just there to get us to like the next ridiculous ghost, yeah, the next set piece, and yeah. apparently, and the next opportunity for the guys to be funny together because apparently, like Dan Aykroyd is not interested in romance and like having that element of a plot point yeah. present in his screenplays, and it was Bill Murray. Bill Murray wanted. A romance. Yeah. He wanted a like a thing. Yeah. Speaking of Dan Aykroyd not being into there being a romance, one of the issues I had with this film, very few issues. Don't shout at me, internet. I know this is a <laughs> beloved film, but in the montage where they're all becoming celebrities, oh, I know what you're gonna say. Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from from a ghost. A, a ghost. And why? It's so weird and it's not just the blowjob element it's everything about it it's suddenly he's in like he's in period dress from the waist up and he's not in the firehouse he's in what looks to be a he's in like Ebenezer Scrooge's house (laughs) yeah it's really weird it is utterly bizarre and I'm sure like if we googled it there's probably some reason for like an in joke or something like that but it's very weird is it, I think it's just there to signal it's like it's okay we're big time we have ghost groupies ghost groupies it's, you know like that is probably a more sensible reading of it because maybe the like, the slight I don't know what this says about my personality or the way I consume <laughs> content but like what really bothered me about that scene was like all I was fixated on was like is there this is going to sound so nerdy like is there interaction with these ghosts starting to infiltrate their dreams and infiltrate their like because like the scene is pre- like bookended by watching them sleep mm-hmm. and it, like you see all three boys in their in their rooms writhing around in bed one of them falls out of bed I think it is Dan Aykroyd and I was left thinking like are the, are the ghosts now just starting to torment them like are they seeing yeah. ghosts in their dreams like but then what is the what is what would be a motivation for a ghost doing that because is that like a really dark bargain to like please don't suck me into your ghost trap 
or I, is it is it or is it admiration? Neither neither is okay. I feel and like both make me deeply uncomfortable. I feel like the but actual answer is nobody really thought it was about a 1984 it that much. misogynistic gag that they thought was really really funny. It's like oh we're big time now we're getting yeah, we're getting from jobs ghosts. from ghosts. Yeah, I think that was the gag. Yeah, sadly, sadly, I think I think that's all it is. So, yeah. So where are we? <laughs> where are we? After Dan Aykroyd gets the oh. gets the blowjob from a ghost. So basically, what happens next is Venkman makes his date with Dana. Yeah. And it's the same night as Lewis's party. Oh, Lewis. Which, by the way, looks like it's kicking off. Lewis is fine. Lewis is fine. There's a lot of people in that apartment. Lewis. His business is booming. Business is booming. His endorphins are off the charts because with his with his hit workouts, he's fine. He's fine. He's, he's got fine. a crush. I know as well as the next person that sometimes just like you don't have to be in a relationship. A good crush can really see you through. And I feel like it says so Lewis much my people. about us that Janine Melnitz is mine and Lewis Tully is yours. That's. Our ghosts. Those I are know, our ghosts. But like I just feel like Janine is unimpeachably cool and Lewis is probably one of the most pathetic people in cinema. But I'm sorry, I can't comment. But you can't and that was a comment. No. <laughs> Look, and we all heard he's it. He's not the most pathetic person in cinema. I, I said this earlier. I actually think that he has the same level of unflappable self-esteem as Janine. He does have good self-esteem. I think. I think he's. He's fine. really confident. He's fine. He takes things in his stride. Like the only he's time himself. He's, he's himself, and the only time he gets flustered is around Dana. And look, that's relatable. That's because relatable. who doesn't turn into a total fucking goob when they're around someone that they really fancy? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> and every other time he's hosting this party, he's like, "Try the salmon." Uh, I'm gonna tell everybody about my guests he's really good at doing the thing when his guests come in at being like oh this is like what's his name he's really good at this and this is his wife blah who's brilliant at what's her face oh except he's not (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't say that what he actually says which is really funny or it's like it's it's accountancy language it's tax tax taxes related yeah yeah so this is so and so he's got a a small carpet cleaning business that's going into receivership and this is (laughs) his wife so and so who's Got about five percent left in the house and fifteen thousand in the bank, but yeah, they're, doing okay. <laughs> they're doing okay. So it's actually not really stuff you'd tell a party. Yeah. Oh, I, I do love him. Oh, he's so good. It's so good. <laughs> but he's so confident. He's taking people's coats and he's like attending to his guests. He gives there's a, like a little like a sort of Lewis Tully, a female version of Lewis Tully. She's kind of geeky with the glasses and she comes up asking him if he's got any extra strength Tylenol. And he's like, no, but I've got about two bottles worth of the non-brand stuff. Yeah. And he helps her out. Because the non-brand stuff is the same active ingredient, but you get it at a much lower price. Exactly what he says. (laughs) And he's got some nice salmon from Nova Scotia, which he got for cheap. Um, And that's why he invites clients, not friends, because it's tax deductible. Tax deductible. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a great party. It's my man. It's a great party. I, I mean, I wouldn't mind being at this party. He's well ca- he's well catered. There's lots of great food. Um, they're going to play Twister later. He tells that to Dana. I'm, I mean, you know what? I would go to a Lewis I would Tully 100% party. Go, I mean, I would throw that party. <laughs> <laughs> if I could be sure people would turn up. It looked pretty busy to me. It did look busy. And they all I'm not allowed very... to invite clients, though. It's unethical because I'm public. Oh. I'm a public auditor. Well, I'm not allowed to invite clients. It's very frowned upon. <laughs> 
Well, Tully's doing quite well. He's having a good social moment. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah. But Dana's not having such a great time. No. No. This is the only one of, well, yeah, no, actually the only moment in the movie that's genuinely terrifying, actually. Yeah. What happens with Dana when she gets home. Mm -hmm. Because it's all set up. I think I think it's maybe it was done deliberately. I don't know. It was. It feels very clever to me because it feels like suddenly the tone shifts, and it feels a lot more like an eighties slasher horror movie. Because mm-hmm. she comes home, her flat's dark. She turns on a light, and she's in sort of slightly like comfy clothes, and she takes off her sneakers, and then she's in her leggings. The phone rings. It's her mum. Mm-hmm. So with the phone being, is she not talking to her mum about Venkman? She's actually a little short with her mum, which I don't love, but whatever. You know, I think that's just a thing in We've American all done culture. It. Yeah. yeah. Well done it, we don't feel good about it. Yeah, that's true. And she comes home immediately preceding this, she's she's tried to sneak past Lewis's door. Well she and, can, because he knows can. her he clearly knows her footfall. Yes, he does. Because <laughs> she does this little thing, she does this little hop past his door, like she's almost like trying to figure out well, maybe if I don't step <laughs> on this like <laughs> creaky floor yeah. or something. Yeah. Which is not great. You don't like no. as much as I I am full team Lewis Tully. He should know to back off. It's just like that's not great. We should he, know to back off, Lewis. Yeah, he does fire right out. Fires right out. In fact, I feel like I just for the record, I don't do that. I can support that. She doesn't do that. I don't know why she's got it into her head that she does. Because I feel like we've just got into a narrative where I am Lewis and Lewis is me. No, no, it's just the accountancy thing. It's just the accountancy thing and um, buying off-brand painkillers. But he's so sweet. And you're so sweet. And you throw a great party. Thank you. So she is creepy, creepy, creeping past his yeah. door. And he still fires right out like a bullet. Yeah. And um, and then he has this little moment where he's like, You have a date? You have a date? You but then he, he But then he kind of recovers. He's like, okay, have a great time. And then he... I well, feel like it's, he, he, no, he doesn't. No, he says, no, he says, <laughs> he says, bring him. He does. He says, okay, I guess you can bring him. Like, it's yeah. Like, yeah, so he still wants her to come, even if she's got a date. Yeah, I think that's nice. It is nice. It's very sweet. It is very sweet. And she, <laughs> and you can see that, you can, you can see that register with uh, Sigourney slash Dana, because she kind of goes, okay, well, maybe we'll try and stop by. Yeah. God love him. I feel like we can say this with the distance of somebody who... Like people who don't live across the hall from a Lewis Tully, because like if we had a Lewis Tully, I think it's unlikely it's that like... you'd live across from a Lewis Tully and have it not be. It's exactly what we've been saying. It's like there can be things that Venkman does that are like, oh, that's gross. Yeah, but it's Bill Murray, and the way it's it's about the way that the film takes it mm-hmm. that it's not threatening. Yeah, it's also the way that the women in the film ha- have been written, mm-hmm. um, like the student and Dana and Janine they're all written in such a way that they're interacting with these men yeah and we trust their reaction to them yeah which is exactly yeah, absolutely exasperation annoyance irritation yeah frustration but not fear at any point yeah and not really even discomfort mm-hmm. like they all know what to do and ultimately are in control of the situation yeah which just speaks to a bigger problem in our society that women are just programmed to, to or, or or have to learn how to do yeah. that. But, you know, in credit to the movie, in a movie where the screenplay probably didn't feature women ori- at all originally, mm-hmm. the women that they do have, the two women that they do have, mm-hmm. have a lot of autonomy. Yeah. But I'm going to give the credit to the actors in that respect. Yes. 
rather than the screenplay. Um, you don't cast Ellen Ripley in a film where you want the love interest to have no wherewithal. Yeah. And she wanted this role really yeah. badly. Like, you know, I think I think off the back of Alien, she was keen to show another side of herself. A bit of range. And I had a little look, because I was really trying to... I was like, surely, like, is there any... I was just trying to find if there's anything bad that we needed to address in the film, but it just sounds like they had a no, I think they had blast, blast making it. And I think, speaking to your Joss Gad point, I think it, it sounds to me, not just on the Joss Gad reunion thing, but, like, it, in any way, shape or form, it's not hard to get these people back in a room to together yeah i think they really are very proud of what they did and it was very silly and very fun yeah there were um, two things in the reunion that were really warming and the first one was like sir Gurney weaver turning up and dan Aykroyd's like oh my god you got the queen and it was just like this kind of like <laughs> it's like all right okay this is legit if she's here oh that's so wonderful he kind of saw her. That's so like, sweet. i can't believe you got sir Gurney weaver that's um, that's incredible so it wasn't like you got Bill Murray, he was like, yeah, obviously Bill Murray's here. It was like, Sigourney Weaver, oh my god. Yeah, well, I think they had the attitude of, towards her casting her. Quite like, rightly. I think, I think they thought, like, Sigourney Weaver, like, that's not what we had in mind. Like, this is a stupid movie. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what does she, what, yeah. what does she get out of this? Yeah, like, wh- why, would, why does she want to do this? Like, I think, I think they've always had a little bit of, like, reverence for her. Which is great. Yeah. And then there was also the bit where she talks about when she has to see, like, so that scene that we're talking about where um, she kind of, she's sitting in her flat and we can see that things are going on behind her that are dark, that she that are not in her eye line. Mm-hmm. But then she gets kind of, she the fridge opens and she gets dragged towards by her armchair. and Her armchair. Her armed <laughs> chair. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, I was preparing to be terrified by the re-seeing of the dog in the fridge and Bill Murray came up to her and was like what are you doing she's like I'm preparing for being scared and she, and he just started like tickling her and shaking her and as she was telling the story he started giggling <laughs> in the in the little reunited apart thing it's really it's really sweet and she's like oh you started giggling you started tickling me and shaking me and saying like you can't pre- there's no preparation in comedy which I mean I I doubt that's true for everyone who's not mm. Bill Murray. Yeah. It was... I wouldn't take any advice from Bill Murray because he's fucking Bill Murray. Like, I'd just be like, I... It yeah, seems... sure, for you. Sure, like, yeah, because <laughs> you're just very, very funny and you're Bill Murray and you the rules don't seem to apply to you, which is dangerous Yeah, in, in these delicate matters that we're discussing. But Sigourney Weaver seemed to have a wonderful experience yeah, on that, yeah, that's on what that set heard and read that she yeah she had a wonderful time yeah and similarly Annie Potts was there yeah I think and, everybody did yeah. I don't think there's anything on this movie yeah I I think it's quite pure in that in that yeah. sense and also like not, it's, it's, it's also just worth highlighting and again like not giving out like huge bags of cookies for this but like none of these people have been me too'd yeah I think we need a jingle for huge bag of cookies I think that's been a thing <laughs> that's been said a couple of times we don't give out huge bags of cookies we don't <laughs> Yeah, a low bar. We need a low bar award. We're not giving up in bags of cookies. Because it's a really low bar. <laughs> if we could do that, would be great. Yeah, and I think uh, it's interesting that that took place because actually the scene where she gets home and it's it looks like she's done a bit of preparation because she is so terrified. Because she's, she's drama school. Oh, yeah, she's Juilliard, bitch. Yeah. Bitch, she Juilliard. Okay. Like. <laughs> Is there a need for name-calling, Louise? <laughs> and I think um, 
that whole scene, the way it's shot is really fantastic. It, it's shot like a horror movie. Mm. She sits down in the in the chair. The way the lighting's set up, because she's only turned on one lamp. She's yeah. on the phone to her mum, which implies safety. And then she hangs up on her mum. And the camera is moving around her during her call. And the music just starts to like come in very gently and suspensefully in the background and then the door does that thing like the light from the kitchen happens and yeah. we get a smoke machine and a backlight which is very effective yeah regardless of the decades mm-hmm. and that uh, pushy thing where they make they've clearly made the door the, like the, the door's made out of spandex and somebody's pushing it from the other <laughs> side <laughs> which is still very effective and terrifying to this day and then the arms come out of the armchair and grab her to me this feels like I don't like it. Yeah. And I think it's down to Sigourney's playing of it as well. She plays it. She's committing so hard. She is playing it like a horror movie queen. And it just elevates it so much because it's terrifying. The scream that comes out of that woman's body. And quite rightly so because these hands just come out and grab her all over and it just triggers something really primal in me. And Yeah. And also it's... given that this is a woman that we've seen interact with xenomorphs. I know. And have never seen this She's lack more of scared. self-control. She's more scared in this scene than she is in the entire <laughs> Alien yeah. franchise. Yeah, she is <laughs> terrified. She's committing her to her horror movie. Scream Queen, like. Like this is it, yeah. And then the, the the armchair just kind of like bolts round, which I think is just like an actual mechanic of how they did this. Yeah. But it just did that really jerky bolt round, and then it fires into the kitchen, and the demon dog is there waiting on her, and she is screaming bloody murder, and it's terrifying. Yeah, and scene. I don't know what happens after this, but and I think, then like, well Raymond then turns and then up for well, his date. no and then, yeah and Lewis's party gets ruined. Oh Lewis, mm-hmm. so he's bragging about his salmon, telling people about the non-brand painkillers, which is honestly, if you're not onto that, get on that. It's the same active ingredient, and yeah, he goes into the it goes into the coat room, which is probably his bedroom, to drop mm-hmm. some coats, and he hears a growling and he's like oh okay guys he brought the dog <laughs> he brought the dog yeah and the dog ruins his party everybody Just fires out the room the way he fires out of his apartment when Dana walks by yeah and he is running around New York City trying to escape this dog nobody will help him to be fair he abandons his guests like nobody he just what's he gonna do he's like five foot nothing he leaves the apartment he's just like straight out the door he's just gone um and in in fairness he's done everyone a favor because like the dog follows him but like he just like he leaves needs to find find itself a key master um the tall busty blonde seems to fall out the window well that's a shame i rewound it because it looked like she fell out the window but he's he's got a balcony okay that's fine because he's quite bougie so I think she just fell onto the balcony. But still. And and, and uh, big shout out to the wee woman who comes out of her door and goes, ah! and then <laughs> goes back in again. As you would. As you would. <laughs> Correct. Correct, Mrs. Horowitz, or whoever you are. <laughs> Definitely a Mrs. Yeah, so he has a terrible time running from this dog, this demon dog. And um, he runs his way into the park, mm. onto Tavern on the Green. Which is a very bougie little bar and restaurant. Which uh, very very true that if you turned up and started banging on the window because you were being possessed by a demon dog, everyone would ignore you. That's <laughs> absolutely accurate. Just what would happen? <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's that's Lewis. He's been possessed by a dog, and so has Dana. Mm. But it turns out she does it like category is possessed by a dog. <laughs> 
Dana yeah. looks. She's I have she's the changed her clothes. Whereas, like later, we see Lewis come in as as the keymaster, and he has not changed his clothes. He's just like it's like he's been burnt to the crisp from the inside out. <laughs> and whereas she has done her hair, done her makeup. I have a theory. Changed. I have a theory. <laughs> I think. <laughs> The possession, the dogs, or the demon dogs, whatever the fuck they are, they take on aspects of the host's personality. Okay. <laughs> Which is why when Lewis is possessed, he's still a little bit Lewis. And, and why uh, when Dana's possessed, she's, she's like to Venkman. an absolute queen. <laughs> Who is kind of firing into Venkman, but she's just, li- she's just a bit loosened up. Her sexuality's a bit loosened up, but she's still completely in control and magnificent. So, if we're going by the logic that she's a bit waspy and from the Connecticut set, uh-huh. she's just got like all of that inhibitions gone. She's got her like two valleys and a martini for lunch vibe. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'm pretty sure that tool things a Halston or a Steve McQueen. I'm not sure Steve oh, McQueen, it's... Alexander McQueen, Steve McQueen, Alexander McQueen. <laughs> she's got like her designer tool dress on in this season's fall colors, and she's just like you know, yeah. That's my theory. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's my theory. Okay. I like it. Okay, good. <laughs> I like it. I'm behind it. Okay. Um we've not even we've not even talked about Winston. We've not talked about Winston. That's oh my God. a gross error. That's a really gross error. She's been too obsessed with Security Weaver and And Rick Moranis. And Rick Moranis. It's our joint obsessions. Yeah, so we get Winston shortly after the scene where Dina apparently likes Venkman there. Yeah, we've got... Po- yeah. He, he arrives post-montage mm-hmm. because they're really busy and they need help. Mm-hmm. And he gets hired on the spot because he's just the guy that's there who's willing to take a paycheck. And the whole thing around Ernie Hudson's character and his situation bothers me greatly. So I further apologise for getting too obsessed with Sigourney Weaver that we forgot to bring him in at his appropriate moment in the podcast because his part was bigger. Right. And I think originally there was a part written for Eddie Murphy that got amalgamated and like changed and I think Bill Murray basically took on that part actually. Right, okay. But yeah, like they knew they needed a fourth Ghostbuster and I think in Dan Aykroyd's own words was it needed to be somebody who was observing the madness. Like he needed to be a sort of proxy for the audience. Okay. A straight man, I guess. And uh, yeah, and, and when Ernie Hudson first got the script, he had so much to do. There was actually a lot of lines that were originally Ernie's in the, um, or Winston's rather in the script that eventually went to Bill Murray, partly because of his ability to improvise and say something funnier. And it just got cut down and cut down and cut down. And that just sucks. Yeah. And it, it doesn't help looking back on that now particularly in the more aware cultural climate that we sit in that it's the black guy's character that gets cut and gets cut and gets cut yeah and i think it the nature of ghostbusters it doesn't i just i think it doesn't come under scrutiny for that as much as it maybe should or would if it was another movie because at the end of the day it was a vehicle for these snl stars yeah like guys in that cabal basically like it was never anything more than that so like Mm. Everyone else is just fodder, apart from Sigourney Weaver, who deigned to be in it, and they were very surprised about that. Yeah. So I feel like everyone else's heads are on the chopping block, where edits yeah. were concerned, because it was a vehicle for these three men. Yeah. So if you know that going in, I guess it's kind of like a shrug your shoulders situation, but like, what still. Do you know anything about what Ernie Hudson has felt about it? I think he's pretty vocal about it. He speaks at length about it in the Movies That Made Us episode, and I think he does a lot of cons, he does a lot of interviews, and 
and stuff like that. And yeah, he, I think he's a bit aware that it's a shitty situation, but like he's also still very proud. From what I can tell from mm. reading and listening to his interviews, I think he's very proud to have been part of it. He seems so chill about it as well because I think there was a lot of discussions with the director, Ivan Reitman, and stuff like that. But like none of this is personal. It's just mm. the way that it goes and. Uh, the fourth Ghostbuster. By the time the by the time the script that we see on screen came close to being in existence, it had changed from being a vehicle for Ackroyd, Murphy, and Belushi to this thing with mm-hmm. the three that we know. And Murray was a huge star already. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think it's one of those ones where it's just a bit of a set of unfortunate circumstances. Coming back to that point we made earlier about Ghostbusters being quite pure, I don't think it rates hugely high in the problematic canon where that's concerned. Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice if they'd done a bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to hear more from Ernie Hudson. He's got some great moments in the movie, but the problem is he still just feels like the fourth Ghostbuster. Yeah, or he's there, he's not one of the kind of like ghost nerds, he's there to be like a normal person and say, oh shit, ghosts exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think if they had kept some of the stuff that got cut, he'd he'd feel a bit more memorable. Mm -hmm. Because when you think of Ghostbusters, you just just think of Ackroyd Murray and Remus. Mm you don't necessarily right away remember Ernie Hudson because he wasn't the one of the f- huge stars that was mm-hmm. cast in the movie. I, think, I genuinely think that would be different if they'd just given him a bit more to do or kept some of the stuff he was meant to do in. He is still brilliant in the movie. He's like, still great. And he has one of he's my favourite scenes. He leads on one of my favourite scenes, which is the scene that he's in the car, he's in the Ecto-1 crossing the Williamsburg Bridge with Ray and he asks Ray, do you believe in God? And they have this incredible like conversation about the Book of Revelations and the end of days and how they think yeah. it's happening right now. And the two of them are smoking cigarettes and then it pans up this incredible shot where it's like, a, I guess, what we would call a drone shot today, but they must have done it with a helicopter or something then. And you see the Ecto-1 crossing the bridge and it pans right out and you see the bridge and the New York skyline at twilight and the Twin Towers are still there and the, the soundtrack mm-hmm. kicks in. It's a phenomenal scene. It's a phenomenal shot. It's a really great bit of filmmaking. So he And he leads on that. So I'm happy you got... Like, if there's any meaning in Ghostbusters, like anything that's substantial, mm-hmm. more than just nonsense yeah. and improvisation by Bill Murray, it's that scene and, and it's, it's Winston's scene. He is actually... He's kind of the only Ghostbuster who isn't, to some extent, a caricature. Yeah, he's 100% a person. Yeah. Again, I do wonder, because, like, so much of our time in the movie gets given over to Venkman and Dana. So maybe that was if Dan Aykroyd didn't really want a romance and he had more time for this yeah. fourth man. Yeah. Particularly because the, the romance isn't particularly believable. No, not at all. <laughs> and, you know, by the time we get to the end of the movie, you are just wondering, like, was it... Ne- it really wasn't necessary. Yeah. Because Dana's yeah. character could exist in the movie without being romantically connected to any of them. They would still have had to deal with whatever happened to her because of the apocalyptic nature. Yeah, her building is spook central, as Ray calls it later, and she was their first client, so there's so many things that tie her back to them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be Venkman wanting his hole, for want of a less blunt expression. Egon says something interesting about the paranormal stats, or whatever it's called. Oh, about the Twinkie. Yeah, so when he said the thing about the Twinkie, it just got me thinking, because he said that if the normal supernatural activity was a Twinkie, mm-hmm. currently mm-hmm. a Twinkie would be 35 feet long and 600 pounds. Yeah. And it just got me thinking that 600 pounds isn't actually a huge mass. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what I was at my last weigh-in, but, like, yeah. Away with yourself. <laughs> so I can resist. I can resist. Away with yourself. Yeah, it's not you right. It's, vision. It's not the correct assessment of mass and length. Ooh. <laughs> no. So, 600 pounds is really three to four average people. Mm-hmm. I was setting about to do the maths. You got yourself ready? I did. I got my big calculator that I have, and I was I had my notepad and my pen, and I sat and I looked up, and I was like, right, okay, you're going to Google the length of a, length and mass of a Twinkie, and you're going to extrapolate. Um, and when I Googled what is the length of a Twinkie, the first hit I got was somebody who'd already done this math. <laughs> Fantastic. Which is a website called SeriousEats.com. And I'll put it in the show notes, uh, which no one will read because no one ever does. If anyone does read the show notes, please let us know. Please let me know because I do put things in them. She does. She studies. And sometimes there's little jokes in there. She works really hard. I do. I work. Usually I do work hard. This is one of the things I found. So they had this thing about, like, how much would a 35-foot Twinkie weigh? Mm -hmm. And so they're normally about 9.9 centimetres long, uh, which is about 3.9 inches in imperial units, which is easier to convert to feet because Americans still work in the imperial and a bunch of weirdos <laughs> and essentially so if you if you made a Twinkie 35 feet long it would not weigh 600 pounds and 600 pounds in kilograms would be like I think shy of 400 kilograms okay but actually if you extrapolate it would be 49,200 kilograms which Again, is way more I have to ask do you say this stuff to men? <laughs> I think, yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Shouldn't I? I saw, I saw an opportunity for a joke and I went for it. I'm really sorry. Yes. <laughs> okay, keep yes, talking. Yes, I keep, do. Keep, keep talking if about the Egon twinkie. can collect spores, molds, and fungus, I can think about what a 35-foot-long Twinkie would weigh. I know. And if you don't like that... Then, well, I mean, that is that, is, that, that apparently is, is right common. Or left, whichever one it is. That is apparently a common trait. I am sorry. Please um, continue to talk about the Twinkie. So the Twinkie would weigh 54 tonnes, not 600 pounds. 54 tonnes. In the immortal words of our friend Ernie Hudson, that's a big Twinkie. That's a big old Twinkie. And, and that's not Egon's fault, that's a fault in the script, I think, really. Yeah, because I don't believe for a minute Egon would get Egon, that wrong. Egon would never have got that he wrong. He would never. Unless, and they kind of... It's a fun website, <laughs> she says. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fun website because they go into a lot of detail about how a Twinkie that was that size might weigh 600 pounds, and one of the ways is if you shot it off into space... <laughs> So if the Twinkie, if a Twinkie that was 35 feet long and to scale was shot to 87,000 kilometres outside the Earth's atmosphere, which is farther away than the Hubble telescope or the International Space Station, but not quite as far as the moon, right. it would at that point weigh... A very specific space and, Twinkie. Yeah. Space Twinkie. But then also that's different because your mass is different from your weight and my physics teacher mother would not forgive me if I didn't bring that up because your mass is your mass and your mass doesn't change your weight is the way that your mass interacts with the gravitational pull of the uh, the planet that you're on Blowing your mind with more Jackie's facts. outstanding work now i feel what we've just done is qualified ourselves to be study guides 
and an interesting fun movie podcast. So you can get your children to listen to us. We and haven't Space even Twinkie. sworn that much. Space Twinkie. Uh, Space Twinkie. I feel like that's going on a t-shirt. And that's not, that's not, that's, I mean, this is, that's seriousies.com. That's not my facts. But um, I'm going to alert you to them and I will put it in the show notes because it's a fun read. If you like that kind of thing, which I do. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, You're so annoyed at me. <laughs> I would never be annoyed at you. That was amazing. I am really happy I now know about the space twinkie. I just don't believe you. <laughs> I am a terrible actress. That's true. <laughs> Moving away from the space twinkie for a hot second. Slash forever. Slash forever. <laughs> let it drift off into the vastness of space where it belongs. And um, let's come back to the movie we're meant to be discussing. So the space twinkie has been brought up by Winston. We've not mentioned Walter Peck. No, we haven't. Key bit of plot, Walter Peck arrives from the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. And he's a classic 1980s movie dickhead. Yes, because he also shows up in Die, Die Hard. Hard. <laughs> yes, he does. He plays the same guy in Die he Hard. Plays the exact same man. Yeah. Except, controversial point, perhaps, hot take, if you will. Mm. I think Walter Peck has a point when he first arrives. He does. They're not licensed or any of that Completely. stuff. Completely. They're yeah. total, like, chicken shit outfit. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry, but Walter Peck does have a point. He's a little smarmy, and he's clearly a dickhead, but he's, he's taking not... too much pleasure in it. But he's also not being that much of a dickhead. Not at first. At first. In fact, arguably, I'm going to continue down this hot take mm-hmm. avenue, arguably Venkman's being more of a dickhead. No, I would completely concur with that. As somebody uh, who audits, I'm used to turning up in a workplace and not necessarily being the most welcome person that they've ever seen. Yeah. And sometimes you have to deliver hard truths. And I find that you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. I think that's the correct strategy. But I do understand that if some if someone were to venkman me, not that I'd go mad with power, but I think it would it makes it harder to keep the diplomatic yes. vibe. Which going. is what really lights a fucking fire under the dickhead. Yeah. Later. Because actually, I think he puts up with a lot of shit. He's even calm when Venkman pulls the, you didn't say the magic word. Mm. Please. And he's like, please, may I see the containment unit? Or no, he, like, s- he says something like, what is? That's right. <laughs> what the is magic, magic word? word. <laughs> yeah. He maintains his cool, like, way more than I would in yeah. that situation. Um, so my hot take is that Walter Peck, when we are first introduced to him, had a point. But he yeah. undermines himself with his vendetta against Venkman. Yeah, he has his worst side drawn out yeah. of him, I think. I mean, it's like I've definitely tamped down my Walter Peckness in the past. I don't believe you've got a Walter Peck I think in your look body. It's, it's minor. I think everybody has some of, some of that. Yeah, he's there to do his job and he yeah. has... A right to do that job, particularly and it's an important in job. Instance, it's yeah. a health and safety job at the end. Of yeah, the day. and it doesn't feel overtly administrative or bureaucratic because he is literally like, I hear you have a thing here that you didn't get a permit for that is keeping a bunch of ghosts and there's maybe some thermal nuclear action going on. I don't, I don't really know what. I, I, do, I just need fairness. To see it. Like, all hell does break loose does. from that at a later point in the film. So. Yeah. He he is Which yeah is he is completely Walter Peck's fault, but yes, also Venkman's fault, also Venkman's fault. Yeah, somebody needed to file that paperwork and nobody did. 
So I would have thought, what is Venkman's? What is Venkman's usefulness in this business apart from being the smarmy bargain bin version of a John Hamm and Mad Men kind of <laughs> like? What is what is his job? Like Egon and Ray are the science, uh-huh. so he's the, presumably the salesman, like the and we know car that... salesman, face of the business. Yeah, we wouldn't expect Ray, from what we know of him, to be good at paperwork. It would probably fall on Egon. Egon is the person who is doing the most, and but I feel like he's monitoring the containment system. Yeah, because also like the way the movie's structured, Venkman always seems to be either in the office or following Dana around, mm-hmm. and then. Like, when the containment system blows, like, it looks to me like Ray and Winston are out on a job. So they're out in the field. Yeah. Egon is back at the, the ranch doing the, like, I need to keep this massive containment system under control. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Venkman's trying to date Dana. So, like, somebody so, should have filled out that paperwork. And I feel like probably should have been Venkman. Could it be part of Janine's job description? I, I'm not trying you know, to throw Janine under the bus no, here. I want but, to be very clear <laughs> before you, know what, you like, cancel me. No, no, no. I feel like it's like one of those things where Janine's job description had all of those vague things and it's like and any other business or any other duties as deemed reasonable within the purview of the job and like filing that paperwork is probably absolutely something they would just burden her with. So Yeah. But not tell her about it. Not tell her about it exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we're all familiar with that. So anyway. Well, all of that is to say that the containment system does blow up yeah. because Walter Peck comes back with an axe to grind mm-hmm. and uh, makes uh, his little lackey shut it down. And that does not go well. It, it, well, it doesn't blow up. It does something really pretty, actually. It's, it fires like very slow-moving pink ghost things out of, the, out of it into the air. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what you see is from the distance. Then you see like a Slimer just like... Rah! Yeah, Slimer's out, Slimer's back, <laughs> yeah. he's ready. He's ready to fuck shit up and bring the party, <laughs> yes. as Silky Nutmeg Ganache would say. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, like, there's some, there's a couple of cool things that, ha- that happen, like the, the dead zombie taxi driver. Mm-hmm. It's a very good moment for the CGI and, and the uh, practical effects and uh, costume and makeup effects, you know, mm-hmm. for the film to really shine. And then we get this fantastic scene with Sigourney Weaver where the side of her building blows off and then we get this kind of like soft focus wind machine shot of her walking forward and her hair is all flowing and the dress is billowing and I just need a moment. (laughs) She looks incredible. She does look amazing. Incredible. I love her so much. We have skipped past the scene where um, Venkman turns up for his date. Yes. So she looks incredible and he turns up for the date and... At first, he's just a bit bemused because she's so into it all of a sudden. Because at first, we were like, I was like, it's kind of, we were already saying that she was already kind of like, from an audience point of view, more into it than maybe there's any reason for her to be. Yeah. But he turns up and she's like, let's get down to business. Well, he knows right away. Yeah. He knows, like, she opens the door <laughs> and she's in that dress. And the hair and like there's the like some sort of wind like, machine. Yeah, there's a wind machine and she's leaning against the door and she's just constantly writhing. Yeah, there's a constant writhe happening and he's just like, oh, <laughs> I expected you to at least be a little bit tired. That I'm here. <laughs> he knows right away that it's not her. Mm-hmm. It's a great scene because it's it's Bill Murray still being Bill Murray, but bringing in a bit of like Sigourney Weaver is committing so hard to being possessed, <laughs> and Bill Murray is just still trying to improvise. <laughs> It's really funny. It's a good scene. 
And again, maybe just like he has that line that I think you actually have in your notes about um, I make it a rule not to get involved with possessed people. Yes. yes. And you also have a note that's like because the bar is on the floor. <laughs> yes. But also, I mean, and that's maybe another jingle we should think about at some point. But also, like, he does recognize that this is not true, fully yeah. informed consent. Venkman recognizes consent. <laughs> Again, no cash prizes. There are no... We're not giving out bags of cookies. We're <laughs> no, not, we're not. We're not giving out bags of cookies don't for that. We don't have any. We're not giving out bags of cookies. Because it's a really low bar. Bill Murray does this thing in this scene, though, that I've seen him do latterly to a much more developed degree where he is actually deploying a little bit of serious acting chops every now and again. He is rea- he's, he's playing for humour because that is his default in the early part of his career. Mm. But as we know, Bill Murray did evolve and mm. he wanted that Oscar so bad. <laughs> and I think he still does. He does have the capacity to play straight. It's hard to articulate. It's like he's got this weird ability to be deeply serious but funny at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to put that into words other than it's his... Uh, unique Bill Murrayness, which it's probably mm. something that he actually does as a person. I think yes, I think that's exactly right. And um, and this is not. I don't want this to feel like I'm being like overly hero worshipy of him because it's not meant to be yeah. like that. It's just something I've observed watching him evolve as an actor over the years, as someone who's a fan of him, but also like I think matured there's... enough to yeah. recognize that you know no, nobody's perfect and everybody needs accountability. But like he does this thing. And the germ of it is in this scene where you see him be like, okay, <laughs> uh, you're possessed. Yeah. This is a problem. Um, and uh, he's quite sweet with her. And he, he does that little gag where he's like, can you just stay in bed? Just like, can you stay in bed? I have to go to work. Can you stay in bed until I get back? Mm-hmm. Like he plays it like he plays it for laughs, but he also is like, oh no, this is, this is quite serious. Yeah, I have to go and do something now. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't do anything. And I love the little, the way the, the button on the scene is they do the the same effect that they used for The Exorcist where they levitate her and then spin around. Mm-hmm. And the button on the scene is, please come down. And then she barks at him. <laughs> um, and then Lewis comes in as the key master. He's the key master. He's over at HQ mm-hmm. and being hilarious because the key master, he gets possessed and is still, still Lewis <laughs> running around being Lewis talking to the horse he does he's got a funny little run doesn't he, he has a funny little it's like a little run. like and he has a little word with the horse the, the horse that's doing the horse drawn carriage <laughs> for central park and he's like you know when the time comes everyone else will be up against the wall and you'll be fine. like he's having yeah. like, it's like you'll, you'll be fine yeah <laughs> with the horse and then he runs off into the night and uh but he's still lewis that's the funny thing about it mm. but he ends up being picked up by a cop and taken to the ghostbusters because they don't know what to do with him that's right <laughs> And Janine answers the door. She's like, picking up a dropping off. <laughs> yeah, because um, he ends up in the same scene with Walter Peck when they shut down the containment system. That's right. The other thing that makes it so Lewis is when he's having a conversation with Egon. Egon's asking him questions and he's like, just like, yeah, this happened. And then the last time I was a demon dog, this happened. And <laughs> Gozo the Destroyer took on this form and he's like <laughs> talking like Lewis. Yeah. But as if possessed. Yeah, he's like he's real nerding out about <laughs> yeah. like Gozer. Yeah. yeah. It's really great. It's some great choices all around. So all hell's broken loose. New York's under fire. The Ghostbusters get arrested mm-hmm. in the wake of the containment system blast. Which, you know, 
would happen, I guess. Yeah. Because um, Walter Peck's an asshole. And it's actually Egon kicks it off because uh, Walter Peck's having a moment. And everything that Walter Peck is saying is not a lie. <laughs> He's basically saying they didn't have a license. This has gone off. It's all kicking off because of them. And then Egon goes, your mother! <laughs> and then launches himself at him. <laughs> which is great. Just ups the sexiness of Egon. Oh my gosh. Love a man with conviction. But they get arrested. I mean, to be fair, the whole scene where they shut down the containment system, that just shouldn't have happened. It was Walter Peck having a grudge against Venkman because, like, why would you shut down something you know nothing about? Yeah. So you're not doing your job, Walter. Particularly if you know that this is quite a dangerous thing. Yeah. It was all vendetta at that point. Yep. So they get arrested and they have a bit of a study session in the police station (laughs) where we get our line. (laughs) What's the line, Louise? The line is, you never studied. (laughs) The upshot is that um, there's a lot of paranormal activity happening and that your girlfriend, Dana, has the corner penthouse at Spook Central. Mm. That's basically the upshot. That's all we need to know. Yeah. And and Winston has another moment where he's seen, I, I've seen shit that will turn you white. Yeah. Um, and basically the upshot is like, we need the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Get that guy out of here. Ghostbusters, yay, everyone's happy. Yeah, it's right, because Walter Peck thinks he's getting kicked in the room, he doesn't. He doesn't, he gets kicked out. And and Venkman's going to send him a nice fruit basket. <laughs> so then we get the meeting of the gatekeeper, the keymaster, Lucky Lucky Rick Moranis, mm-hmm. because we get that shot of like Sigourney Weaver, I'm going to do it right now, mm-hmm. and only Jackie can see it, but like she's like, you know. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Are you excited about this? It's been quite the splay. <laughs> she is splayed across that armchair, and it's it's very it's, sexy. Yeah, it's it's something. It's it's more than something. It's formative. Mm. Um, so she looks incredible, and she's got that big hole in the wall, and you can yeah. see New York behind her. And, <laughs> and then the door flies open, and Rick Moranis is there as the as the key master and he's like standing really like <laughs> this made me laugh so much whenever you watched it earlier he's like he's like standing really like stiltedly with his arms out there <laughs> by his side and he looks really shocked and his hair's all standing up <laughs> what did you say earlier it looks like he's been like blown up like yeah. electrocuted and he kind of stalks into the room and then she slithers over to him and then like dips him and snogs yeah. him <laughs> Which is great, because she's quite a tall woman, and he's a relatively short man, I think. <laughs> yes. Any, like, in real life. I think that's safe to say, yes. Yeah. Actually, one of my better internet dating experiences, so I had something about, I think I actually, at the time, had something on my Bumble profile about Rick Moranis. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's great. And on Bumble, you have to send something, and then the person that you send it to has 24 hours to respond to you. And the person I was, I'd was i matched with was really into Sopranos, and I met, I sent him like a Sopranos gif but the gif he sent me back was that exact gif of Rick Moranis coming <laughs> through the door <laughs> announcing that he was the key master I don't know why you're not married to this well person. we do have a second date coming up but um great yeah <laughs> excellent good to know it's just nice to find someone who's just like read your bio <laughs> He's done the reading. He's read the 100 words they've gone into this bio. Listen, if there's anything that we've learned throughout the course of this evening is that studying is hot. Yes. Not to give out (laughs) big bags of cookies, but... Do you believe in ghosts, Louise Oliver? Uh, No, not really. No. All right, Um, well, that was a short 
That was a short <laughs> segment. But little did they know, it was not a short segment. I'd like to. I think they're fun yeah. as a concept. But I feel like this is an argument I get in with most of my friends because actually the majority of people I am close with do believe in ghosts mm. in some capacity or another. But I think it's very, very silly. I just don't find it believable that we would live in a world where ghosts were a thing and like that wasn't measurable. There's an institution, a scientific institution in America who's got like a $2 million reward for anyone that can definitively prove paranormal mm. activity and no one has ever won it because like it's always debunked. Why would it be in a ghost's interest to not have their existence be provable? Say where you're someone who died in 2020, like you know as a spirit, if you have one, <laughs> that there is scepticism <laughs> about your existence. What do I have to do? I'll sit in with Katie Couric. Yeah, I know, but also I'm just thinking, like, I'll, why are I will explain... always in Victorian garb? Like, why are none of them, like, Backstreet Boys fans? People died after 1872. Like, Yeah. <laughs> why would they not be like, okay, get me in a room with Jon Snow, and <laughs> I will, with my Cardi B Reeboks, explain what my unfinished business is just feels like a huge extension of our own insecurity about being on this planet right <laughs> to believe in ghosts <laughs> because it's like you're so frightened of your own existence that you have to make up nonsense mm. to comfort yourself but when you say that to people they tend to get annoyed yeah we're so fragile like, it's like we can under we can it's like oh people seem to like come through wars with like this unbelievable sense of self and like resilience but then, you know, like, we'll remember, like, fucking telling us in first grade that our legs are fat. Like, like there isn't really any rhyme or reason to what's going to be yeah. traumatic to us. And I think our brain does weird things. Yeah. I think it makes things up to protect us because yeah. we can't, we, we're the only thing that moves around on this planet, as far as we are aware, that has the level of sentience that we have. Yeah to the point where we can question our own existence. And I think the, the ability to question our own existence has basically driven us mad. Yeah, yeah ESP, like, ghosts, spirituality, religion, it's better than staring down the battle of the gun of our own existence. Yeah. For me, the flip side of that is I kind of like the meaninglessness of it all. I'm it like, make, I think I have a very it. short time on this planet. So I, like, I need to have meaningful relationships and do good shit now because I'm going to be in the ground at a moment's notice and there is nothing waiting for me on the other side wow I didn't realise this podcast was going to go this way <laughs> I kind of like the idea that um, that's rooted in physics which I think your mum might enjoy mm -hmm. I am not a physicist I don't know I, I've picked up somewhere that we're all stardust Joni Mitchell wrote a song about it okay because energy sounds... can't be created or destroyed all of that shit yeah that's true um, so I kind of like the idea that we just like whatever is making us upright goes off a, into the universe and either becomes a daisy or a a rock or something else. It's not quite reincarnation, but it's like something about the the energy gets filtered, recycled somewhere else. I actually think it just ends. Like it's just, just programming ends and we're done. But that's nice. <laughs> so anyway, back to the comedy ghost romp Ghostbusters. <laughs> what about you? Uh, do I believe in ghosts? Yeah. Was that the question? No, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't like. I don't like the idea that 
people dying are stuck. I, would, I, I think I prefer the idea of dying and disappearing to the idea of dying and being stuck. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird concept, generally. And, like, why would you not communicate what that is? Because there's apparently a ghost that can speak and ghosts that can't. And, like, why wouldn't you just... Yeah. Just say, like, could you just go and... I don't know, switch the hob off. <laughs> or, like, I don't know where it is. Well, in the film at this point, the Ghostbusters are returning as conquering heroes. Mm-hmm. They get suits on, they turn up at the building, Everyone, everyone's there. Everyone got a memo. <laughs> Although, actually, how did they know to go to that building? Anyway, it doesn't matter. There's everyone's a whole there. thing about the mayor's office, and then they were going because they know that it's Spook Central, so that's where they head because... Yeah, they get a police escort. It's quite an iconic scene. Yeah. Of them getting like oh yeah, escorted the press through the, are set, all there. The, set, the streets of New York, yeah. and then they arrive, and everyone's like Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. Yeah, and then they get there, and the the street cracks, uh huh, which is fun because you can see the hydraulics bounce as the street cracks, <laughs> and then they have to go into the building and realize the elevator's not working, and they have to climb the stairs. Oh yeah, that's a bummer. I don't believe a single one of them has been doing their steps or their cardio, so this is going to be hard. They're all quite heavy smokers as <laughs> well. Quite very heavy <laughs> smokers. I think it's Venkman that says when they get... I can't remember what floor they get to, but he's like, let me know when we get to X floor because I'm going to throw up. Like I feel that. I really yeah. do feel that. But they get there, and they have to get up onto the roof. Mm-hmm. They get onto the roof, and there's a gymnast on the roof. Dana and Lewis are now the dogs again. They went up onto the roof before the Ghostbusters got there and then went back to their dog form. They've made love at this point. I assume so. There's some so. kind of know. like Keymaster gate. <laughs> <laughs> Louise is making a very suggestive hand gesture at this point. I, I'm, I'm, it's an obscene <laughs> hand gesture. I think. Suggestive was an understatement. It was, it was obscene. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what they're getting at. I like, think that's what they're getting at, yeah. and I think that's what's happened. Because I believe, I from what I remember, they're both kind of like lying in a kind of a state of satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are sated. <laughs> the gate has been kept. <laughs> the key been has been, been mastered. Been I'm not sure something's happened. Yeah. So then they get turned into dogs again by a gymnast. Gozer, Gozer the Gozerian. Apparently, originally, this part was meant to be played by Pee Wee Herman, which is you're joking, just outrageous. And um, I think that was very early on. And then Gozer's actually played by some like yeah by like some German or Russian gymnast. Her look is very RuPaul's Drag Race. Like mm-hmm. I feel like the whole spangly jumpsuit. Yeah, and I think we see a leap, and then she lands in heels. Which is also very drag queen. Not easy. Not easy at all. And yeah, this one, I mean, I don't really have much to say about this other than, like, the effects are weird, the whole situation is weird, but what I really like is that, what is it, like, the coming of Gozer has to be manifested by something that one of them thinks of. Yeah. And everyone's like, don't think of anything, don't think of anything. And Ray thinks of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Yeah. It's great. It's iconic. So iconic. And delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I just yes. can't stop thinking about when they when they blast them with the guns that it must be like toasty and like New York must have smelled amazing after that. It must have been <laughs> like a kind of like a lovely burnt sugar smell. But uh yes, so iconic Stay puffed marshmallow man. Yeah. The little bob of his head in between the buildings. Yeah. That's great. Nobody steps on a church in my town. Like some great lines. Mm-hmm. And Winston has a brilliant line in this 
end scene, which is like... Next time that someone asks you if you're a god, you, you say, say yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is great advice. Or something like that, yeah. Yeah, that is great advice from mm. Winston across the board. Yeah, listen to this man. And uh, I think there's another thing that happens in this. I think we learn about what Winston's getting paid. Because I think you found a Reddit thread about Winston's salary, didn't you? Yeah, someone had put in six years ago that according to the Bureau of Labour Statistics, eleven and a half thousand dollars nineteen eighty four would be twenty six thousand three hundred twenty six dollars twenty six in twenty fourteen. It's about twelve sixty six an hour in pounds. That would be like eight pounds something an hour. So like barely above the living wage. No, he wouldn't be able to survive on that. No. Anyway, <laughs> the upshot is they cross the streams to kill the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yep. It's a good time. They blow him up. Dana and Lewis come out of the dog. Yeah. Zuh. Venkman is genuinely concerned about Dana's welfare. He is. Yeah. They have a really stilted, weird kiss at the end of the movie. I didn't like that kiss. It's no. really weird. It's shoehorned in. And uh, Lewis has a great line that I thought you would love. What Almost the last line of the movie, but not quite. Which is like, who does your taxes? Um. So I I don't do any taxes. I know, but, like, come on. But I do... I have sat tax exams. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's 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 hustling. He every is day, hustling. Every day he's him. hustling. And then Ernie Hudson almost gets the last line of the movie, which is, I love this town. Mm-hmm. And then they all come out, and they're heroic, they're covered in goo. Yep. Do you think that Ghostbusters was the start of like do you remember like the nineties it just felt like every children's show was obsessed with slime? Is that because of the Ghostbusters? Maybe. I don't know. Nickelodeon seemed to be the leaders in Goo. Yeah. And they were after yeah. the Ghostbusters, so maybe. I don't know. Could be. I have no definitive answer just on that. My for my you. earliest memory of anybody being slimed is Slimer, sliming people. Yeah, the and, then, and then it was closely followed by Nickelodeon because that became such a thing. Yeah. In the 90s. Being slimed. Being slimed. Yeah. Look I, I mean, we might need to look it up because I do I not know. Well, yeah, we don't want to ascribe that. But yeah, so that's... That's Ghostbusters. That's Ghostbusters. That's going to take some editing, I think. <laughs> yes. Thank you for coming back and we've missed you. We've missed each other. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, podcasting makes us feel good. she practices that I swear to god she does (laughs) that was I'll have what she's podcasting thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design follow us on twitter and instagram at she's podcasting if you liked this you might also enjoy our sister podcast persistent and nasty which is all about amplifying marginalised voices in film and theatre thanks for listening and see you next time